Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby. I'm a fan of classic movies. Hello and welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of audio commentaries dedicated to discussing cinema that fascinates us in a way we hope fascinates you. We're your co-hosts, Kyle and Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. And I'm Levi. And we got through Clockwork Orange from last week. Still have scars from that one. You know, That's one of those movies that I only watch every few years, but it just reopens your mind to it and it sticks with you for a while, you know. Uh, I've just been pissed off all week. Because <laughs> I have to do that. <laughs> well, for other things that I'm burning on. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to our new <laughs> segment within a segment of things we're burning it's on. basically what Levi's burning on, because yeah. you've yet to include anything so well, far. Well, one, but... one thing I'm, I've added oh. this week. Oh, okay. That there. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. You did have that. Okay. Yeah, I'll let you take that one, because I agree. But, you know, anyway, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not going to hit her. Are we there yet? Oh, Daddy, (laughs) are we there yet? No. Anyway. I wonder if they're going to ever reboot the Are We There Yet slash Are We Done Yet franchise. Slash uh, Daddy Daycare. Well, crossover, yeah. 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 Anyways, uh... (laughs) Speaking of transitions, speaking Marnie. Of, uh, speaking of, okay, Daddy. <laughs> as Troy Aikman, as Troy Aikman said, yeah. We're um, not going to get into football this week because that's a whole other uh, yeah. thing we can't deal with right yeah. now. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, all I'll say is it's over between us. Yeah. It's a very sad breakup. Anyways, Marnie from 1964. <laughs> anyway, Aaron Rodgers. Anyway, Marnie. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock. You think he's seen Marnie? No. Yeah. Okay. I will say, though, in the past, he did dress up uh, from Life Aquatic for Halloween. Yeah. Oh, well. So we'll always have that. Always that have moment, that I know we yeah. lived in, but yeah. whatever. Um, anyway, Marnie. Marnie, 1964, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Tippi Hendren and Sean Connery. Um, it wasn't actually until relatively recently I realized that Tippi was not her real name. Well, yeah, I would have And the Tippi I... was kind of in quotes usually anyways. Natalie Hendren was actually her name. Actually still alive at age 91 yeah. as well. Bless uh, her. As is Eva Marie Saint. Yeah, other Hitchcock leading lady. Um, I think is Kim Novak still alive? Mm-hmm. She's passed no, away. Okay. I don't think so. But our mom was named after Kim Novak, and it's one of those things like you know the we had no idea who Kim Novak was growing up yeah. until recently. she's actually still alive. Wait, really? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. She's Kim. actually younger than oh to be Hendrick. Well, I apologize. I just would have assumed. I just yeah, I don't ever hear anything. It is, you know, about it is them, actually yeah. very telling that all the leading men of that era are dead and then the women are still alive yeah. you know it's almost and, like they didn't leave self lead self-destructive lives and were a-holes you yeah, know that's true that's almost that it's almost 
amazing. You Should know? we say Cary Grant has been dead for some time now, oh, yeah. and he yeah. was older anyways. And well, he died in like the 70s, didn't he? Or was it the 80s? 70s or 80s, something like that. Oh, yeah. We don't know anything on here, so. Whatever. But uh, Marnie is one of my more, in recent years, favorite Hitchcock films. Uh, very evocative. Um, and has a lot of stuff to dig through, which we're going to attempt to do mm-hmm. today, that is indicative of a lot of his larger work. But before we do that, we gotta, we just gotta get into that Blue Plate special. Hi, Audrey. Norma. Have a cup of coffee, please? Sure. I'll have what she's had. Order up. And the order is indeed up. So, we don't have a lot of, like, frankly, new, relevant stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about one thing in general, uh, in particular. Real quickly, I want to say yeah. I did some grading for a assignment yesterday. Yeah. That I didn't even grade, but I wanted the fi- – I, I don't want to go into all this. But basically, I we didn't, I didn't grade it, but I want to give some of my kids feedback on – they wrote, like, kind of a mini essay about okay. something. And I found myself continually writing, your theme is relevant. Yeah. Your evidence is good, but I say but or something. I was like, your theme is relevant. So yeah. you said relevant. That reminded yeah. me. But your Spencer is relevant. Yeah. Spencer, like, yeah. the newest film about Diana Spencer, of course, uh, Diana, Princess, Princess Diana. Princess of Wales. Yeah. Princess of Wales. And, uh, you know, it's not very subtle, but still in its own way, very evocative. The whole idea of, you know, it's said in that uh, at one point, like uh, POW, which, of course, stood yeah. for Princess right. of Wales. But in many ways, I think was making a statement that she is a prisoner of war, that she mm-hmm. is like you know enraptured by this whole life. Mm-hmm. Starring uh, Kristen Stewart, um, directed by Pablo Lorraine, who a few years ago now it's hard to believe it's what been five years 2015. already. It'll be six it's, years coming up. Oh, it was fifteen. Was yeah, it? Mm-hmm. I thought it was. 16. It's been almost six years since we saw that. It's hard to believe. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. I think it was sixteen though, wasn't it? Because fifteen we saw the Big Short and. Hateful Eight. Oh, I guess and it that was is. The next yeah, year it okay. was La La Land, uh, Nocturnal yeah, Animals, and know. Jackie. We all Whatever. saw together. What do I know? Nothing. But even that, it's already anyway, been yeah. five years. Yeah, I, I know. believe. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Um, uh, Whatever. This movie was kind of going into kind of. Now, let me just say up top, if I haven't made this clear already, we don't really care about the Oscar race anymore at all, if we did at all. We don't really care about award season. But this is being touted as one of the kind of the big releases of the fall to lead into that, specifically for Kristen Stewart. Um, you know, I'm somebody who just a few months ago, frankly, had zero to nil interest in the royal family, and yeah. my interest still wanes uh, for the most part. However, and we've talked about this on here before on the podcast, The Crown is a show that we've been particularly taken by in recent months. Yeah, uh, We've been watching it with our family and uh, quite like The Crown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Mountbatten. I, mean. I, yeah, I think some people see it as more celebratory of the monarchy than it actually is. I don't think it is. is. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's like it's somewhere in between. It's in it's the not, middle ground yeah. of these people are interesting inherently by virtue of their privilege, but it is still very much taking uh, yeah, stock of and yeah. critiquing the monarchy. Um, so we've already had some Princess uh, Diana content in our lives, so to speak, with uh, her depiction in yeah. that, and in the new season. Well, and, uh, and also she's going to have a right. bigger role. Well, as and well. of course, as as uh, 
people of of pop of knowing pop culture and history she she is a an icon that has still lived with us for 20 years even after her death i feel like she's still such a cult of personality um and for a lot of people it was a representation of this you know beautiful royal who herself was growing uncomfortable and wanted to separate herself from Mm -hmm. that life and as you were i think saying before i interrupted you that our mother was really a big fan of her yes, and taking yep, with her mm-hmm. kind of in the 80s yeah. and 90s. I yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, well, just that... And I think ultimately what what's important about Princess Diana more than anything, I think... I think that the story of the royal family is her story, ultimately. Um, I think I've said that on here before, that um, her tragedy, um, I think, is the epitomization of what is wrong with the royal family and what it does to uh, humanity, mm-hmm. um, both in a not only in a political sense but expressly in a in a, a, a personal human sense. And I feel like the crown really explores that not only with her but especially well even with uh, consistently with the Queen Elizabeth, with uh, Charles, yeah, um, even early on with. Uh, um, Philip that he's wanting to be more of he wants to be a pilot and it's like well that can't be allowed right. with Princess Margaret and her not being able to mar- be married to who she wants to be married to I mean it consistently that show studies the idea of these people having their uh, hu- humanity taken Desires, away yeah, and, and that, but I feel like more than anyone it seems that Diana um, you know exhibited that now of course there's a the question of uh, you know it's a question that seems like an obvious answer to then the answer will be no did the royal family literally lead to her death literally yeah no not necessarily mm-hmm. but you know the whole paparazzi press you know issue surrounding that that has surrounded the royal family since and hasn't really gone away and had before that yeah is ultimately what led to that but also even in the sense of you know um just her per, her own personal life and leading to that day in 97 that that happened it feels like they did destroy her ultimately even still and that that is the inadvertent cause i don't know enough about this to say that there's people that are more of historians on this that you know can argue that either way um, but what is so interesting about Spencer is it doesn't examine that at all. It's all set. No, there is and, that one but, scene in particular when they're coming out of the church on Christmas Day. Yeah. There's all those photographers there and all the flashbulbs, and it feels so assaultive and so violent in a weird way. Yeah. That it feels like that is raising alarm bells or connections yeah. in our head of where that her well, life even, is going to ultimately and go. And what I even meant is that even the, uh, in that, and that's true, but what I even meant was just what the setting of the movie well, yeah, is, yeah. is way before right. that event. Uh, nearly six years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the movie is set like kind of over uh, loosely a three-day period, I guess. Yeah, like Christmas Eve through Boxing Day of 1991. Yeah, um, and kind of just a country estate somewhere in England where it's kind of, Plains looking cold and rainy, uh, yeah. you know England. Yeah. Uh, and so, Kristen Stewart plays Princess Diana, and it's about her going to be with her family or the royal family, uh, not necessarily her family. Really, the only family that she has there that she has yeah. any connection to is her sons. 
You know, I thought those uh, were the best scenes in the movie, actually. Yeah, uh, I mean, that one scene in particular, one of the most heartbreaking but beautiful scenes is where they're a candle lit, kind of all yeah. surrounding each other. And they're playing of, some, like, military-style game where they're like, Major, you must tell me the truth or yeah. whatever. And, yeah. And that was a very affecting scene. Yeah. And uh, uh, Kristen Stewart, it should be said, is just one of our best act- actresses or actors yeah. in general today. And she just was marvelous, I thought, as Princess Diana. Again, I'm not someone who... I've frankly now seen way more depictions of Princess Diana than I have actually her in the flesh yeah. in terms of what she sounded like and looked like, kind of. And but the culture was inundated with that stuff way back when. Yeah. You know? Um, and um, I thought she was just terrific in this movie yeah. as that. And there were certain particular moments where it did look like, oh, it's like Kristen Stewart wearing yeah. a suit and wearing a hair a certain way. But there are certain moments and images that I remember that look will look very much like they're going for that and again it shouldn't be the job of the movie necessarily to be an impression anyways it's no. the job of the movie to take this real person and tell this story about their lives that still in a human way anyone can connect to it's not right. just about purely tracing the line it's yeah. like, oh this happened and this happened i mean and i think like when well, it says at the beginning a fable based on true events it's a true not tragedy or, or true something. tragedy yes yeah, so, rather uh it's not yeah it's not and we can talk about that in a minute about all the weird kind of things about the movie but yeah it's very much all speculative uh, but I feel like it is what the truth yeah. of what it is you know yeah uh, should be said Stephen Knight wrote the screenplay which yeah I didn't and know Stephen Knight is suddenly a, one of the best random little creatives working today kind of in the background he mostly serves as a screenwriter mm-hmm. he did write and direct Locke which I thought a lot mm-hmm. of a few years yeah. ago Tom Hardy was in is basically almost the only cast member or the yeah. voices of other people. Um, and so he also wrote Allied, which I thought a lot of. I thought that was I think a he had really written uh, Eastern Promises, which we've never seen. But Yeah, uh, he did write and direct, I think, that uh, Matthew McConaughey movie from a few years ago. They got oh, like really uh, putrid Ser- reviews. Uh, what was that? Not Serendipity. Uh, or Serenity. Serenity, yeah. yeah, which I heard was like uh, people were already turned into like a camp classic now. Yeah. Um, uh, girl, with the, girl in the spider's web too. Right. Uh, so Pablo Lorraine, you know, directed this. Um, Pablo Lorraine previously, as we said, I know he made some. I think is he Chilean? I believe. Yes. Um, I know he's made some movies before this that I've not seen that are like more about like Chilean social yeah, life that and movie, Chilean politics. No, I think that a lot of people like Gabriel um, Gabri- Gabriel Garcia Bernal. Yeah. I think's mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. Uh, but Jackie was a huge uh, deal for us, yeah. and uh, all I'll say is slight spoiler alert. Um, who knows? We might be talking about it. More yeah, in we'll depth probably in come back recent. and talk about Spencer. Yeah, a little I'll bit see more. how we couldn't. Yeah, in uh, next few weeks, actually. No. Um, but we had that planned already. And I yeah, guess I wasn't really yeah. thinking about that. Um, so spoiler alert on that. Uh, but, I mean, Jackie, I mean, you know, that is, like, one of our favorite movies of the last yeah. several years. Natalie Portman is amazing in that movie. And that's also about this woman of privilege who feels, you know, surrounded by or engulfed in, a, in that way, a very direct tragedy that had just taken yeah. place. Part of the dramatic tension that Spencer worked with is what we know will happen to Diane. And that's kind of right. an interesting dichotomy yeah. of the movies is that, Jackie is about, you know, ostensibly it seems as though after the uh, assassination of her husband, you know, that 
Jacqueline Onassis ended up going on and having a fairly successful, happy enough life, but will always be forever connected yeah. to that tragedy, obviously, as anyone would be. Um, and it's about her trying to come to terms with how do we pick up the pieces of this and move on. As I said, the dramatic tension of Spencer is more about, well, we know how unhappy Diana's life is here now, but we also know, all of us, going into that movie of where her life will end up yeah. going, and that is part of the sadness right. of the movie that's soaked into it. Um, what for you separates Spencer from Jackie as kind of works of looking at these women of privilege? Well, it's interesting because I'm in the middle of writing my uh, kind of longer review, which, by the way, there's a raffle. If you write a review quick enough, you might get a shirt yeah. or something. Anyway, yeah. But, um, and I'm kind of talking about it, but I think it's very technically different, actually. Yeah. I mean, it looks kind of the same, but much of uh, Jackie was kind of a very voyeuristic, handheld, kind of in up, cl- a little too close. And yeah. it may- and that was what was well, great I, about it. One scene I always remember in particular from that is like when, right at, you know, when she's like looking in the mirror and yeah. she's soaked in blood and yeah. brain matter and all this stuff. And it's just like the way the camera's shaking and it feels like you're violating her space right. by even being yeah. here to see this moment, you know. But as you said, the style is different in Spencer. Yeah. Spencer, and it has a lot of close-ups, so many of Diana that I honestly forgot how many there were. I mean, it's just like always like right there. Yeah. But, but they, uh, And there's one particular close-up that really I thought was affecting of, uh, of uh, Timothy Spall, who's kind of like the villain in the movie. But there's that scene where she's in the like freezer eating, and he comes yeah. in, and it's like right up at, and it was just kind of like, it looked like a shot from The Shining or something. Yeah, right, but, it did, yeah. Um, but that, like, it's, but most of the movie, it, it, it's very formalist. It sweeps a lot. It's like a lot of movement on track, yeah. tracks, and, you know, it's very, like, controlled yeah. in a way that Jackie wasn't. But strangely, it's a lot more surreal yeah. and percussive mm-hmm. in ways that I didn't expect. Throughout the movie, uh, she's, in the, in the movie anyways, not yeah. in real life, I don't presume, but uh, haunted by the ghost of Anne Boleyn, who's yeah. quite literally a character in the movie here or there who yeah. pops in and out. And, um, Reminded me a lot of opening night in certain ways as far and, as I mean, that. I wouldn't go as far as to call the movie obviously a horror film exactly, no. but it has traits or characteristics that make it you know, closer to a horror film. In particular, I think about when she goes to the old dark house towards the yeah. end of the movie, which was her old home uh, or estate that's kind of on the property also of yeah. that. Uh, it's all and it almost kind of is acting as though that that life was this homing beacon for her that always was going to pull her away from who she quote really was that you know yeah. literally it was like on the same grounds or a state of where the royal family is now and that this kind of dark uh, forgotten derelict building is a lot closer to who she really is even though she's always expected you right. got to be over there and there's yeah. a few times she wants to go to this home and she's being prevented from going there um and again it's i mean it was powerful and haunting in the moment but even now a day later just thinking about it it's something that's really uh well yeah powerful and rocking and it and it it consistently feels like a horror movie in a lot of ways of like when she first gets there she sees that there's the coat of her father's it's old like a coat that's like up yeah. on that scarecrow, and it's like the house is just over the hill over there, but mm-hmm. you keep not seeing it, and it's always like somewhere else, and and yeah, and the movie that, it should be said the movie is as you said is playing with surreal imagery, yeah, and there's part of me that wonders is she 
is she being delusional? Is that really over the hill because yeah. we're not seeing it? And right. then, so she finally makes it right. there, though, later yeah. on in the film. But. And that there's this constant sense of, like, she says early in the movie, she's like, three days, three days. And it feels like this kind of sense of she's trapped with these horrible people in this haunted house, and that in the end she finally escapes. But, it, I mean, it is really kind of is a horror movie in a lot of ways as far as the uh, setup yeah. of it. Um but and Timothy yeah. Spall is like almost like a ghost-like figure. Yeah, that when you get down to really who he is and what he represents, it's actually not all that bad. No, but in the context of this world, it is like like he is this ghost-like figure who just yeah. kind of comes in and out and knows. Oh, if you're, she's keeping her blind shut or not, yeah, and right. if people are watching her. But again, as she says, like. To be watching, you know, to be uh, making sure nobody's watching her, that they have to be watching her yeah. predatory says, in their own it way. It says, like, I watch so that, uh, or what, I, I just wrote it down earlier in that review. I can't remember. It was like, uh, I watch, let me just find it. It's like, I watch so that others do not see, I think, or something. Yes, like, uh, but, yeah, that, um, let's see, I have it here. Yeah, I watch so that others do not see. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, that, that's, yeah, it's an interesting character because he's not inherently doing anything wrong exactly. Yeah. But he represents, and that's kind of the representation, though, of the royal family, although I think they do things that are definitively wrong, right. is that what they're doing to her isn't, I guess, inherently, like, evil exactly. Yeah. But it represents this, you know, this frankly, predation you know, that has to exist. This, to, frankly, uh, an, you know, anti-feminist, yeah, like very true, uh, sexually repressive, uh, personally and culturally and socially repressive system um, that is evil. Yeah, but it's very complicated kind of thing it's dealing with. But what's interesting about the movie to me is that early on it feels like it's just going to kind of be okay you know, this kind of chamber drama of being kind of feeling trapped, but like it gets increasingly goofy and kind of kabuki as the movie goes on to the point that it ends with, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of very specific emotional reactions that I had to this that I want to talk about. Is at the very end, I mean, it's kind of a spoiler, I guess, for the movie if you care, but that at the end, she literally runs into the line of fire of them shooting pheasants, and uh, Prince William was kind of being forced to do this, to shoot pheasants that he didn't want to do. And that she literally interrupts that so that she can take him and Harry back home to London. And on the way out, she, they're driving in the car, and the, the pop song, All I Need Is a Miracle, plays. And they're, like, singing to it while they're escaping. There was something and early on in the movie where they said... Said something said, about a miracle I need a miracle right. or something. It, like, it, yeah, yeah, it fit that, but... It was such a refreshing moment in a movie that I felt was becoming kind of stifling, passe. Oh, because mm -hmm. it's so. Before I, I'm going to jump over here for a second before I get back to that, because the movie it's kind of like what we've talked about before with a lot of A24 horror movies. There's a certain scent. People complain all the time about oh, big budget blockbusters. They're all the same. The same thing kind of does happen with these independent movies where it's like particularly with, let's say, for example, Ari Aster, one of my favorite punching bags, you know, <laughs> that he'll make a movie like, uh, 
you know, Hereditary. I remember seeing the trailers for Hereditary and just being like, wow, this looks so different and weird. What could this be? And then in the end, all it is is, oh, just some pagan cult. Yeah. That's all it And was. that sameness is just like setting yeah. in for a lot of these right. movies. And yeah. it's like, oh, it's just this thing, it's this. And even and you this, can feel what happens is for a lot of those movies, I feel as though creatively, yeah. even when they're conceiving them of them, which is at the script yeah. phase, that they have this big, weird, different idea of what it can be, and they kind of wrap themselves into a corner, and the only easy escape hatch is, well, satanic right. cult, pagan, yeah. paganism, right. idolatry, or yeah. whatever. Like, and so in that, goes, and in that sense... This is some may not agree with this, but I feel that this movie, in certain ways, falls into the trap of just like doing these kind of weird, surreal things. Like, oh, there, like there were a couple shots in the movie that reminded me a lot of uh, shots of the Queen that reminded me, sitting at the table that kind of reminded me of something like The Favorite or something, or oh, the kind of weird stuff that happens in that, and like, you know you know what I mean? It's just like, there's certain things about it that it's just, oh, let's have these ghosts be in it, let's have all oh, these kind of weird dream sequences, and it kind of felt like a, and I'm a, I said this in my review also, it kind of felt like what Darren Aronofsky's version of Jackie might have been had he directed it, yeah. you know what I mean? It felt kind of just Which like Which he was a, attached to do for a long right. time, and then he finally stepped aside, yeah. and, uh, and I quite like Darren Aronofsky actually yeah. for what I've seen but like it just feels like it could it's just another kind of psychological horror thing that just happens to be a movie about uh, Diana now did I want the movie to be a straightforward like let's have the royal family be in it the whole time and make it really kind of like a Hallmark movie crap no but at the same time it tries a little too hard to be art house I think sometimes and kind of is just it's just like, yeah, a lot of movies do this. It's not all that different. I don't know if you agree with all that or no, not. No, I but. think I mostly do. I think, uh, you know, coming outside of, you know, because obviously this is all operating under the shadow or the of the crown. I feel like yeah. culturally that everybody, when they think of the royal family now depicted in culture, is the crown is the thing yeah. that people would think of. And I, so, I think this is, again, serving as not a corrective, but more of an alternative to the crown in terms of, we can be a little weirder. We yeah, can take yeah. little certain risks. That that movie is positing itself as a, almost a canonical historical representation of these people that is going to live on and be what a lot of people remember from it. So I think it's operating more from, well, we'll do something different from that. But again, undoubtedly, I think it could, like you said, fall into the trap of being like these other non-royal movies that yeah. are this psychological horror thing. Right. And it's one of those things, it's tough because I much prefer this realm of psychological horror to traditional horror movies. Yeah. Um, but it is undoubtedly operating with a certain level of pretension that most horror movies, traditional like, horror movies oh, are not. She, and it's like, oh, she eats the uh, the pearl necklace. And it's just all very like, yeah, this is all clearly... Or like, like the, know, there's like, scenes where she thinks it's someone else right. and then the shock is it's actually right. another it person. Just, it feels like, very like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, so, uh, and I think maybe part of the... Um, perverse satisfaction someone like Pablo Lorraine pulls from that is that you're doing this with the royal family not like just some any other family but you're taking somebody as oh up on such a plane as the royal family and doing this approach and I feel like it fits her and I you know and a lot of this is very complex because it presumes a lot of thoughts that a you know sadly deceased woman had about her station in life that we don't definitively know yeah and i was actually actually wondering watching it like 
is an impossible hypothetical, but like, what would she think of seeing right. this? There's yeah. a line towards the end of what, uh, who will I be perceived as a hundred, a thousand yeah. years from now? Um, and she was like talking about like William the Conqueror and and it like and, the and that's very and, true. Yeah. I mean, that the more time passes from anybody, the whole ideas or qualities we have about them get more essentialized and more uh, condensed. And it felt like this movie itself was in that moment acknowledging this is an abstraction. This is yeah. not a literal uh, idea of what who she was. That right. you know we're not a thousand years away from that, but even thirty years away from that is yeah. you know uh, a certain level of distance yeah. that we can only presume to know yeah. certain certain things. You know? But so so I felt like even still that the movie was fit that it was like okay about what it was about. I feel like it mostly fit those pretensions that it was able to do that, but. At the end of the movie, when that happens with the All I Need is a Miracle, it's, it's interesting a big because jolt. there's a lot of things I felt about it. Number one, the first thing I felt about it was, first of all, yeah, being jolted out and being like a pop. That's what's interesting about The Crown, too, is they put some pop songs yeah, in there. And it's like out, yeah. people that are what, these like footmen that walk around yeah. and they have no lives. Yeah. And it's like they're just so like, uh, like uh, you know, I have served a table every day. For the last sixty-four years, yeah. or whatever you know, that got the like father in the remains of the right. day. These people that are very like you know, they literally have like, no they, idea conception of life outside of that, yeah. or whatever. However many years he said yeah. that, I don't remember. But yeah, that he's very stuck-up kind of people, and it's always jolting to hear that. So it's weird to hear that, and it's kind of goofy. And you're like, and there is a brief what? moment, yeah, of the towards the end of the song of Timothy Spall walking to put back the Anne Boleyn book, yeah, on where the he's up, yeah. and that song is playing, yeah, <laughs> and just like it is like yeah. obviously he would have no conception such a thing even exists, right? But in that yeah. moment of him and that song playing at the same time, you can't help but laugh, yeah. just like, well, and like know. yeah, and also just that uh, there's that moment where like Charles goes into where the royal family's sitting and they all look at him, and there's this very kind of lovely stock zoom on his face of like I have failed yeah. like moment and that's playing but so that's kind of the first emotion that you have is just this kind of like Joel. what and you kind of want to laugh and I did laugh but then then you get this sense of kind of uh, joyful release of like oh finally they're getting away from this BS you know and, and there is and a taking certain her children and there's and a certain like joy you get from that and then at the bottom of all of it I felt this strange, like, and obviously her children were not with her. Somebody else was driving the car, but you get this sense of, like, she died in a car crash, and it's just this weird, right. like, yeah. that's at the bottom of all of it. And I feel like it's a such a complex, interesting, it's probably one of my favorite moments in any movie this year. I mean, it mm -hmm. really is something, that, like, because you, you talk about it and you think it sounds really stupid, but like to actually see it, yeah. see it at the end of a movie that abrasive, yeah. it really is something magical. That it really is. All I needed was a miracle, yeah. you know. But it, it's a very. And then also uh, it, the. Well, go ahead, and finish. What well, you're and it, well, it's just a very complex moment. A very, uh, you know. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Collection you know, of thematics, yes, basically. Yeah, like, right, I mean, yeah. and it's one of those things like... Um, Context is the word I was looking for. Yeah, it has I mean, a lot of context. It's a moment like that talking about the magic of the movies. But it's yeah. just like that movie, you know, you go see a movie in a theater and now so much of it is, frankly, and we complain about this all the time, but it's like, you feel this or you feel that. And it's very manufactured. Yeah. And you can still have moments like that that are filled with a little bit of everything. Yeah. You're like, oh, joy... 
but also sadness and also contemplation. I mean, it's just like, yeah. and the movies can still do that, you know, yeah. even in a movie that has its flaws, um, that's still quite good in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, but And then they end with going to KFC and sitting by the River Thames near the London Bridge. I just yeah. thought that was hilarious, but. Yeah. Um, and you know what's yeah. weird is, I haven't said this, but uh, the whole week I was randomly thinking about, just to myself, me, myself, yeah. and I, Thinking about how funny it'd be if, like, I just wrote a book or a memoir just called My Kentucky Fried Life. Just like, yeah. it's just like, I just think that'd be funny to call yeah. something that. And then at the very end, they go to KFC and it's like, Her Kentucky Fried Life. And then I was life, just thinking, you know? there's KFC in England? There's and KFC I was everywhere, like, yeah. I guess so. And yeah. I, I mean, well, and I've heard, well, this is the whole other thing. I've heard stories of people that mm-hmm. we know that have gone on missionary trips, places, and eaten KFC, other Swazi places, land. and like, yeah, and just how weird it was. But like, yeah, so it's just a randomly, you just wouldn't think of that being there, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, and uh, again, I was slightly worried going into it. Like, I love the idea and the sound of this, but will it be different enough from Jackie to justify its existence? And I think it yeah, certainly was. No, it is. Um, because it's not as good what, as that, but yeah. it has its own soul about itself yeah. that separates well, it. And I think know? that Jackie, what I love about Jackie is just the straightforwardness of it. Whereas, uh, and I like that about this too, in its own way, that it's like wanting to be, because that's what makes it different. It wants to be weird and kind of surreal. Whereas Jackie was very much like this is just what this is what we think happened literally or in a way or not even, but it's just very like this is it mm-hmm. very straightforward one shot kind of thing whereas this is very like you know all over the place in a kind of a good way yeah so, and um she's not in a whole whole lot of it but I thought Sally Hawkins had some very you know yeah. beautiful scenes as well and she's just in general a really great actress I didn't yeah. care a lot for The Shape of Water but she was really yeah. brilliant in that and she's really good in this yeah. and uh, scenes towards the end with her are very affecting so uh, Spencer it's playing in theaters currently <laughs> I mean, by but the time you're hearing this it's probably it might be gone already it's probably 20 years have passed in the sense of theater yeah, ways, Eternals I mean, is still probably playing somewhere, yeah, you know, by that point. Garbage. But um, so go see it if you get the chance. If not, wait till it comes on home video or streaming, and see it then. Oh, and uh, you know, you know, I just think it's a Christmas movie. I think it's got an argument to be one of the great Christmas movies ever. I'm sure that that yeah. discourse will start up soon because it does take place around yeah, Christmas. Whatever. I don't care. Anyways, we're gonna now transition to our segment within a segment of things that we're burning on. As we begin our look back, here is what I am burning on. Again, friend of the pod, Jim Rome. We're finally happy to get him in the mix. <laughs> so, Levi, you start us off all with right. this. So, all right. I don't like memes. Okay. You don't like the memes? The memes. That's really <laughs> what I thought it was when I first said like, a meme. It's like you say GIF when you hear a GIF yeah, the first right. time. Yeah. I still actually don't know definitively how to. S- I think it's GIF. Okay, I'm pretty sure. That's how I've. There's people out it. there who are scoffing and laughing at us not knowing. Screw you, oh, Levi. He picked up the mic. So if you give a crap about that, yeah. you are not a worthwhile <laughs> all you human need being. Is a miracle. <laughs> yeah, all you all you're gonna need is a miracle because wow. Um. So memes, you're so out. So memes, I'm out. Uh, now there are some funny no, well, memes out there. Should we define what a meme is in a more well, like, traditional sense? Well, what I like, you go ahead. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it, is it like 
something that is like quote viral content or a templative thing that people add their own yes, little that, spin on. I think that's on. what it is. Is and like people see it yes. as a creative act in many yeah. ways. Like no, they you think know. it. They think that memes are worth anything. Well, there's the whole I thing mean, with NFTs now. We can yeah. talk about that. David Lynch is making some NFT with uh, some band or something. He's making like a little music video. I think. Uh, I think Tarantino said he might uh, release some deleted scenes of either Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction that have never been seen as NFTs. So, NFTs, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'm falling asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, well, again, let okay. me say this. One filmmaker that I always know will never give in to this is Nolan. Is that oh. anything other than on the big screen is yeah. sacrilegious? Right. Yeah. Well, and Scorsese, you know, the person, yeah. which he, do, he doesn't his even grand, know. His, his daughter's probably like yeah. explaining to him He's what that like, is. Like. I don't understand it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> searchers. Uh, searchers. Uh, John Ford. <laughs> grand Delusion. Uh, anyway, uh, so... I mean, is cinema really the first NFT when you really think about it? <sighs> is cinema the first GIF? The cinema. Um... <laughs> Cinema with an S. So you're out uh, on memes. Yes. Yeah, so, but what? Yeah. What I see when I talk about this whole meme thing, there's various ways you can talk about it. Number one, the main thing I don't like is like man walking with woman, looking back at well, other woman. That's, like that's a meme. You know what I mean? It's just like thing, okay, yeah. like everybody's done every version of this. I don't care. I think the appeal for you know, I'm, I'm go I'm ahead. Very briefly, make a devil's advocate argument because let me just say I yeah. agree with everything you're saying. The whole idea is, oh, like, let me respond to the novelty of the, the quote, new thing with the old thing. And it's like, Which you will then... Like, look at my cleverness. When, again, as you said, the uh, the whole meaning of what the meme is, in of itself, has its own independent meaning. So just to plant this other thing on top of it that everybody already knows is not actually clever. If anything, it's just you're like, oh, I understand how this new content... Hashtag content reflects this old form in some weird way, like you know. Yeah, and uh, my mind silence. just went blank. Yeah. I, this, I'm just so angry at this. That uh, so should be said. Every corner of life is touched with me yes, making cinema is no exception. Yeah, I think it's what the biggest problem for me is is that. I mean, it literally represents... This is where I was going. You ready? Yeah. It literally represents the futility of the passing age that we live in. Every moment on Earth yeah. is a... is a. It will not last. Yeah. It's coming from a Christian perspective here, okay? Every... Everything... It's just like... It just shows how, like, old mean... Oh, you're stupid if you think something's all... It's just, nothing can last for anybody. A movie comes and goes. A TV show comes and goes. Mm-hmm. It has no cultural footprint. Everybody watches the Underground Railroad right when it comes out. Nobody talks about it anymore. They move on. Mm-hmm. It's garbage. Well, let me, let's just stress this to make sure we're not making yeah. any... Like, we love the Underground yes, Railroad. Yes, that's we what I'm saying. We watch it over time like, as opposed yeah, it's to just like that one week. People watch things so quick, like bin, binging stuff... Which inherently is referring to binging alcohol in its own way, which is which garbage. Is, so most people admit is um, actually an unhealthy yes, thing to do, uh, and yet they do it anyway. Um, that and means is literally the same thing. Of like, let's just let's just eviscerate this one little thing we got and then destroy it. It's like they literally go through and burn crops, and it's just over and it's done. It's like all this hard work that's gone into something is just over. You know? Well, like, I just taught the Depression this last week in school. Again, I'm an American history teacher in high school level. And that it's all, in a weird way, reminiscent of an actual practice that was going on. People don't just 
vanish. In the 30s where, you know, every every corner of American life was under attack in terms of the economic crisis of the 30s. But um, that southern farmers were actually burning like 90% of their crops so the supply would go down where the demand of the crop prices would go up and then they would take what 10% they had left and sell it because they were that desperate yeah. that we got to burn everything here just to get this 10% to be worth anything. Yeah. I feel like culturally that's yeah. where we're at right now. Anyways, yeah, and it's you know, so like, everything is so passing and futile. Yeah, I mean it, and and everybody thinks they're so funny. They have their version of the meme. Theirs is the best one. Like, you ready me, for mine? Let me just say, you might not be as convinced about this as I. I think Aaron, Eric Allen Hatch is still. If you, I don't, I don't even want to call it the meme master, but like he. His are always well. He doing always his own little note. presumption but, and doing yes, something a little but different. But at the same time, he's always like. Uncle Boone me and possession. It's always the a same, lot of David Lynch and stuff it's too. always the same stuff he does. Yeah, and I get it, but and you're right. It's all it's a different alternative version that is usually always funny, but it's just the same thing over and over. This all goes to the fact that I just don't spend my life on Twitter. Also, no, you're better off now. And uh, because people, that's another thing. People go on Twitter and they're like, "I'm entering the hellscape." Then don't blank and go on it. Mm-hmm. Leave it alone. Use your life doing something else. To read a book, yeah. like seriously. Yeah, it real. I'm. I'm like. It sounds like I'm going. I'm literally pissed off about this. It literally makes me so. So angry. I think the thing that really like, set I, you off about this was specifically doing yes. content so, the last two weeks. Like that's another thing about this is that okay, I get it. My son is Timothy Chalamet. I have a vested interest in this movie. Yeah. I get it. Whatever. But it's like. Still reading it. By yeah, and I'm again. still. I'm almost there. Yeah. Okay. I, I have a job. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I actually do something with my life other than stay on Twitter. Yeah. You scumbags. <laughs> I really. I mean, this is what I'm burning on. Okay. <laughs> uh. But like. It, okay. So. I don't know exactly where to start with this, but so people will take like desert power. Yeah. And they have like, and then they have like friggin' Sam Rothstein smoking a cigarette with blue eyes. Like, what is funny about that? Literally, somebody tell me what is funny, okay? Now, by the way, let me say, I'm not saying that every single thing has to be taken seriously, okay? Yeah. But nothing is. Ever. No. Nothing is ever taken seriously anymore. Well, we live in the age of Ryan Reynolds. Where I know. It's like everything's a joke. Everything's, everything's trash. And I actually like, had um, some kids this last week. It's like, Mr. Huffman, what do you think of Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> and it took me everything I had just not to start yelling obscenities. Yeah. But I was just sitting there. I was like, well, I think he's garbage. I don't think he contributes anything good to the culture. Everything's a joke. Everything's, I think I said, everything's a meme. Everything's an eye roll, can't take anything seriously, no sincerity, this or that, and they're like, oh, I just think he's funny. I just think he, I think he had a good spoof. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, like, seriously, like, nobody takes anything seriously anymore. And, it should be said that, I'm just to defend these teenagers yes, ever so briefly, is that well, that's always the whatever. teenage yeah, no, I mindset, get it. Yeah. but that is extending more and more to adults in ways that, it gets worse well, it's every the, it's the Chuck, generation. It's the Chuck Palahniukization, however you say his name, Chuck Palahniukization I'm trying to make something out of nothing here. Of life. I mean, like, you know, yeah, did I, I maybe, I saw Fight Club at the age of, like, 20. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old I was, 20, 21. Probably, uh, yeah, I feel like I would have liked maybe. that movie when I was younger, when I was in middle school, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, but you've grown like, out a lot of them mindsets. I'm an adult now. Yeah. I feel, and people, t- my kids tell me, they're like, you're like a 40-year-old. I'm like, I know. Isn't it great? And, you know, and I'm just like, 
it's just it's yeah, all right anyway let's get back on track here i'm all over the place you see what happens when i when i'm like frustrated well, but, I don't you know, know modern day four-year-olds like, not all obviously yeah. but more often you're gonna see them wearing a deadpool yeah. shirt oh yeah and, and because they're, ch- they're children yeah. i mean so anyway and let me say dune has been around since the 60s okay it's been new to me it makes it i'm making it sound like i love the dune universe more than i do i like i like it quite a bit i find it interesting but i love the new movie i'm not saying it has to be taken seriously it's a friggin' sci-fi movie okay it doesn't really mean what it means though to me what i think is so important about it is that wow a movie like this can still be made by a big hollywood studio be a blockbuster and not only have great actors have great performances look amazing look like it's actually real and doesn't look like you know that movie was made for less than jungle cruise yeah, i've been hearing been and jungle cruise looks like a daggone and we like jungle cartoon cruise and i like it, jungle cruise the effects i were... actually quite like jungle cruise yeah. i'm not going to lie no but the but effects like, were spotty it just yeah. it, like and and to actually be about real issues, and yeah. I, because that's what the book was about, mm-hmm. and that oh, let's just say, let's just oh, like uh, fear is the mind killer tone. I mean, you know, and that was kind of fun. And all this is there are kernels of it that are funny to me. Right. Like the funny, the genuinely funniest meme I've seen about all this stuff is that one where it was like libertarians. It's like what's the oh. age of consent in every state? And it's like libertarians, and it's like. The uh, mentai eye thing that they do in the movie, they're like, where they're like calculating, they're like, yeah. yeah, and it's like <laughs> now that's funny because well, it's not that. Frankly, like, is using that is using Dune and making a comment yes, on, on a political thing, as opposed to yes. as opposed presuming to, yes. something on Dune, you know as what opposed I mean? to just taking a person, putting blue eyes on them, and putting the black nose thing. Yeah. I, I feel bad. I should know what the name of this is by now. Thing on them and saying desert power or fears the mind killer or spice must flow or whatever it's like i mean that's been those have all been part of the culture for since the 60s they've been part of the culture for almost 60 years get over it well i guess the difference is that it's always been and this has been a big conversation happening with this dune film anyways is that like um you know a lot of this stuff was like the nerdiest of nerd culture it was like so far off to the sidelines and like the only other biggest shot this ever had was the lynch film from the 80s and now it's like kind of entering a zone where the quote normies are watching it and taking it in and that um and even there, say, there's a lot of the doom yeah. community that loves this film yeah. the mass majority <coughs> and some of them are acting though weird though like oh can a quote normie or someone who's not read these books or into this world yeah love let this? me say i know i'm new to this whole thing and there's people out there listening to this and saying he doesn't know what he's talking about whatever you say whatever you want about me. I could give a crap what you think about me. Literally, I don't care. But but what I'm saying is, is this goes into a further frustration of people can't just take this on its face as what it is, and they like it. I know they do. They wouldn't do. They're not making fun of it. I know that. But what they're doing is, is they're taking this supreme piece of art that operates on a pop level, which we have so few of now. Yeah, right. We literally have nothing of this. This literally does not exist. This is That's what is important about this movie. This is more important even than Dune as a concept. This is something diff- This is something above that. They're taking that and they're saying, oh, well, I'm not going to talk about this genuinely. I'm going to make a joke. I'm going to make a quip. I'm going to get my likes. Hashtag content. Hashtag Twitter. Hashtag scumbags are us. Literally, it sucks so bad I had to talk, this is what I had to be burning on this week, because it goes into something I've been talking about, I feel like, for a couple years now, but it's just been getting increasingly more and more frustrating. Yeah. I don't know if any of this makes sense to anybody no, else, I know it does yeah. to you, but 
And you probably don't agree. And if you don't, I'm not even going to say anything bad about you because you literally have no, I literally have nothing to say to you. Like, you need, like, I don't know at this point. I know I'm, t- I know I sound like a crazed maniac on here right now, but well, I uh, think this is a serious issue. I mean, quote, serious issue. We're literally burning the but, well, it's in But the you know what I mean? Realm like, or yes, in the like, artistic realm. We, yeah. And that I feel like people aren't taking something that is serious. And people complain all the time about, we don't have anything good anymore. Then how about you actually take something seriously that is? Yeah. You know? Well... And I know I have some vested interests in this, of, of my son being in the movie. I get that, okay? Mm-hmm. And I get, like, and but I feel like this goes above and beyond this to the point... I mean, literally, and it's the same thing, like, we've talked about this already... I love Paul Thomas Anderson. He is my favorite filmmaker, okay? But Phantom Thread was honestly knocked down a peg for me of being able to like it because it was like, oh, everybody, this is a mean movie. Well, Did you know how funny Paul Thomas Anderson is? Yeah, Magnolia is like one of my favorite movies. It's hilarious, okay? Like, but it also has a beating no, it's heart also beating very soul, serious. Yeah. Like, and well, That's part of the I, joy of his movies is that interplay between those two things. And then a lot of people and then, like, and then there's, there's a lot, lot of people little, that don't like that movie too. There's a and lot of so, like things about there will be blood that are funny. Yeah. But that is not a comedy. No. That is not a movie that is a, meant to be that. Now, and I know you know this, I just want to say this for the yeah. record like Paul Thomas Anderson is not conceiving of making, editing, releasing <laughs> Phantom Thread with the presumption no, that how's not. the internet going to respond no, to that's this? That's not like, on him. I yeah. get that. But that's what's so frustrating is that when but as a fan of his yeah. work you admit to being your conception of it being minorly altered because of well, this and I'm just not as into that movie either. Yeah. Personally, I'm just don't I just don't care about that. There are movie actually some things about the Spencer I... I was thinking about with Phantom Thread because that that movie doesn't go all in on the surrealism, but there yeah. is a moment or two where there's a ghost that is in the movie, and that but kind of reminds me of that. So that's my favorite part of the movie because it is so uh, of Phantom Thread. You're saying yes, yeah. intentional. And and emotional. Johnny Greenwood scores and, for both. Yeah, and, and that is very specifically like very real mm-hmm. and emotionally relevant. Not that there's moments in Spencer that aren't. I'm not saying that, but like that really works in the moment that it is. That's my favorite moment in that movie. Um, one thing I want to say briefly about Spencer, and we'll go back to what we're talking about in yeah. a second, is that there's only one scene between her and Charles. We were talking yes, about this really yeah. is the scene in the billiard room. Yeah, uh, and it's so with the candlestick. Uh, it was Charles. <laughs> like yeah, but uh. I just thought With that was the interesting because yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that was, frankly, the most yeah. definitive stamp right. that movie makes on their relationship. Is, because that's yeah. the it's a lot of other scenes where they're just staring at each other. Across the oh, table. We're eating. Yeah. We can't speak. Like, you know. Yeah. Uh, also, another thing I just want to briefly mention, the whole queen in the movie. The yeah. queen. She's literally, really, she's... The whole thing is like, oh, Diana's got to get there before her yeah. because she's the one who comes last. Because of, And... You know, I feel like the movie itself was pausing like the Queen is almost this villain behind the scenes figure. Yeah. But there's that one moment of acknowledgement where she looks at her and says, you you know, uh, all the pictures they take of you, ultimately the only one you realize that really matters is the one that's going to be on the coin because they see you as currency. And that, yeah. And that is an acknowledgement of that movie that the Queen does not necessarily see her as an enemy, but almost like you poor thing, like you don't yeah. know what you're really right. for. No, and yeah, like, and I, you know, because that's an interesting scene because I felt like it actually was more compassionate than it seemed that she's like, yeah, I feel like that was more 
not as villainous as it seemed even. I think but, even the movie leads yeah. you early on to think of her as right. a little bit of a villain yeah. figure, but that yeah. one moment between them actually is like, oh, you know what, the queen yeah. sees her with some compassion or some pity to a certain yeah. extent. But So anyway... All I'm saying with all the ultimate, my thesis statement on all this. Sorry, crap, I want to talk about. No, no, I know. <laughs> well, no, I know. But my whole point with this whole thing is that it, yeah, and it's not just, I, it's not about well, me. The I'm not trying to. Yeah. is ultimately coming before the actual. Art yes, and I'm not trying to make things. this about me, but you know, I personally connected to this thing, and I feel like other people might have too. But I'm going to be genuine about my statements about something. I don't make, and just also just. It's such a waste of time to make memes. Yeah. Like, I sat for uh, for part of this week thinking, am I going to seriously make a George Plimpton fan cam? <laughs> Hell no, I'm not going to do that. Because no, this it's a, prompted by us watching yeah, because I, yes. Civil War. And, and I re, and I tweet. well, I didn't retweet. I tweeted, yeah. me <laughs> tweeted something <laughs> that was content. like manifesting George Plimpton fan cam just because I thought that sounded funny. Then I was thinking, should I actually make that? And I was like, Hell no, I'm not gonna do that. Like I got, I've got all kinds of stuff I gotta do. I gotta plan for school. I gotta read. I gotta do it. You know, yeah. like no. So, so no. what could have been? Yeah. Hey, listeners, if you yourself yeah, you, want to make a George, you go do it hand. for me. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting up here from the from the from the uh, the 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 chair, the what have you, the throne, whatever it's called, the table, the table. Let's sit. We'll we're get to that. We're getting ready to come to the table. But uh, anyway. Like all that's all I'm saying is I want people to be more. Well, again, uh, if you're sick of the Dune, uh, the Dune memes, don't worry. Wait another week. We'll get our. We've already had some Eternals memes. Yeah. It's always the next. That's the thing with all this. Yeah. What you're getting at is that the sell by date for this is always so short. It's all oh, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. What's what we're always what we're moving on to. You know. Uh, yeah, that and that's all I'm saying. I just want people to be more intentional in their in their uh, reactions, their to professions things. of faith towards something. Yeah. Y'all need Jesus. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. That's, like, yeah, we all genuinely, do. and I and I and uh, forgive me, God, for going off. But no, it's all very whatever. true. I agree. Anyway, uh, something something even funnier. <laughs> this this next. Well, one. I think actually, do let's you want to let go ahead? Yeah. That. Well, that is pretty funny. Well, so, this yeah. is a more informal yeah, note right. to end on. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, you go ahead. Again, we're gonna we're gonna come to the table on this. Okay, we're gonna the red table, the Smith family. This is my burning on topic, and I'm not even going to get as fired <laughs> no, up about this as yeah. you are about that, but why the hell do we care? The Smith family. Of course, Will Smith has been a movie star now. He's got him the next two. <laughs> <laughs> I guess some of this is sparked by a lot of the, yeah. actually, a lot of the news cycle of this, yeah. a lot of recent stuff with them is probably sparked by King Richard, uh, his new movie where he's playing the psychopathic uh, father of That's Venus enough. and Serena yeah. Williams. You, I'm not going to interrupt. You go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, that... Um, First of all, I don't know if that guy's still alive. By the way, uh, look that up. Like King Richard himself. Uh, King Richard. And by the way, in the trailers, it's like got blurbs, which is always frank, frankly frightening. He is that alive. The movie is, okay, he, he's alive. Yeah. yeah, King Richard is. He's seventy nine. That and in the trailer for the movie, King Richard, that like it says like um, as a review from Variety or Hollywood Reporter, one of the trades, and it was like da blah blah blah. King Richard is family, and it was. I know what it, it was talking about. The movie as yes. like all oh, this representation of family, but I feel like that in in and of itself that those words are tipping the hat of what a what a great celebratory thing this is, and that instead of making a movie about actually Venus and Serena Williams, let's make one about their psychopathic 
father who's driving them to greatness. Oh, but it got them to win all these Grand Slams and all these U.S. Opens and Wimbledon and all that. And so I guess seem, it, yeah. I guess it justifies the whole psychopathy. Yeah, and it doesn't basically. seem like, like the movie is engaging with that as like a as like a problem. It's just saying. Well, I feel like there's little did, scenes like, where it's like, ooh, he's maybe going too far. But you know that ultimately but, that's all going to be paved but, over and say. But he's got him the next two. I mean, <laughs> how many parents are going to watch that movie and go, yeah, that's what we need? What, like, I'm going to drive it. to be that like. You parent, see it like, even more than I do. I see it every day. Yeah. I don't even know. Obsession with I don't even know if culture, I should like, say this. I'm not going to name even who the child is or even their gender of yeah. who they are. But I, there are some students that I have that sometimes I see them come in there every day and they have this kind of just like this, uh, how do I describe it? Defeated. This just defeatedness. Yeah. And they're, and they're pushed constantly by their, I know this in yeah. in sports and it really makes, it really makes me really sad. Like I'm not yeah. even, I'm not even going overboard about this. So I see that day in and day out. And I don't know if that's what's going on with that child but I feel like sometimes it is, and it's not just one; it's yeah. multiple. Like you know. But anyway, but so, like yeah. I'm really, frankly, worried. I'm not kidding about this. Like, there's gonna be a random amount of parents who see this movie, and is gonna say, "Yeah, we gotta push to be great. We gotta push our kids to the limit." And um, sure, Venus and Serena Williams, they are objectively these great tennis players and whatever. And I'm sure. Uh, they themselves conceive of happiness in what they do. So I'm not gonna say that. But they are frankly the exception. Like that is not what happens to most kids. Most kids do not become the next Vena and Serena Williams. They become kids who resent their parents for the rest of their lives because of the way their parents treat them. Or they are then going to take that anger and rage and translate that into trying to be that for their children later yeah. on. You know, as parents. So, you know, who knows? That movie may be okay. I don't know. Frankly, I'm not going to see it, so I don't care. Um, but in general, like if you you go on social media, you turn on the news, wherever you walk down a tabloid, uh, you know, by the tabloids, uh, checking something out from the grocery store. Over the last, like, 25, nearly 30 years now, the Smith family has been just this humongous presence in the culture. Of course, starting with Will and Jada Pinkett Smith. Wow, and wow. then their uh, Wow, wow. Wiki, wow, wow. Wow, wow. And then their children... Jim West. Uh, Love list. Which I, I feel bad. I'm going to have to look up their names. Willow Jada Smith Pinkett. is one. Or no, that's the wife. No, Jada Pinkett. Yes. Uh, yes. Willow, Willow is the and, daughter. Uh, and, uh, the son is uh, Jaden. That's what I was... Yes, I was thinking it was something similar to Jada Pinkett. Yeah. And yeah, him and Jada Pinkett married in 97. Um, so it's really been the last like really 25 years that they've been in the culture all the time. Um I know Jada Pinkett in some ways is weirdly feels like more of a celebrity than Will Smith does anymore because she's got this <laughs> we joke about in this family all the time, the red table. Let's come to the table. They they all bear got their souls. The next table. They all bear their souls in this very performative fashion that looks like it's being confessional, but then ultimately is just quote keeping them in the conversation. <laughs> because, you know, we pictures. know nowadays there is no such thing as celebrities. Uh, having shame anymore about anything that nothing can be behind closed doors nothing can be private if you can mind your own struggles your own tribulations for hashtag content uh -huh. more power to you because that just is going to keep the engine going basically and so their whole marriage 
is just this like content game now where each of them are coming out and frankly talking about how unhappy and unfulfilling their marriages are, how it's like an open uh, marriage. They, like. There's basically they've they basically have said, Oh, it's an open marriage and we've both had these like relationships on the side. That and, she blames some of her relationships of those on him. Yeah, like she's blaming like him. Like she has no self control. And, like, um, and some people I'm just gonna be blatant about this. Some people would see that as a feminist stance. Yeah. That's just immoral. I don't care what you say. It's not about her being immoral. That's not at all what it's about. It's about, oh, you're... Bo- and, like, yeah, if there have been some things behind closed doors we don't know about, you know, fine. Well, not, not but anymore. They, They've told then, us everything. Then they need to be divorced. Yeah. That's what needs to be. Yeah. You know, like, and to blame your own, like, actions on somebody else, that's just literally against, like, a nature of self of responsibility. Yeah. But anyway. And so, so just like um, yeah. every day there's just some new thing about them. I know just the other day he said that he was, um, this is not related to his marriage, but that he is, like, um, he was weirdly disappointed when I Am Legend was a box office success because he just felt tethered to his success and he was weirdly almost wanting for a... Uh, um, a failure, in a, a failure in some weird psycho. He got it with way. After Earth, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it came later on. Uh, and then that he's now like he's doing this whole like weight loss thing or something, where he's like doing a documentary about him losing weight or something. All this is to say, the only real big takeaway I can take from any of this is that celebrity drives you insane. Celebrity makes people insane monsters that they have no idea or clue who they are anymore. So in a weird way, I actually feel for them that. Uh, they seem psychologically, spiritually broken as people, yeah. and that their all lives are just content minds that you're going to have to turn into something else uh, to, quote, feel something or to feel relevant. But at the same time, ultimately, both of them were chasing this. You could say, well, the industry drives people to chase this, this, or that. Um, all I can say is, I mean, there's celebrities around and out there like Leonardo DiCaprio we were talking about this last night, who is using his celebrity to draw attention to climate change. Yeah. And while himself might not be a great guy uh, in terms of how he himself yeah. treats relationships, um, at least has the decency to do it all behind closed doors. And which is, is you know, a out of the, you good know, actor, which and Will Smith cannot claim. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've recently talked about, you've been watching uh, Men in Black, Men Black yeah. with your middle schoolers yeah. kind of during lunch. Yeah. I mean, he is really good. He really is good. I mean, you see why he was No, I mean, it's part of that. I mean, and there there is a certain, you know, I I haven't watched a whole lot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But what I've seen, I'm like, yeah, he has a definitive, you know, personality and like a charisma that I understand. And I feel like he had that early in his career. But that has been way far gone by now. I mean, yeah. So, no, I mean, yeah, he had a charisma and a certain sense of personality, but. I mean, yeah. Jada Pinkett, she had said it off, you know, uh, you know uh, all big successes. Um, so, again, this makes it sound like I care all this more than drama I do. With, I really just want them to go away. Yeah. I do not care. Well, then care. there's all this drama with Jaden Smith all the time about just whatever he's got going on. Nothing in particular, just like him as a presence. I'm just, he's always just doing the weirdest thing. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah, so all I'm really saying here is I'm ready to move on from them as I am ready to move on to this next minor thing that we want to talk about. We were in Barnes & Noble just last night before we saw Spencer. And we love going in Barnes & Noble. We love to read. We're, you know, uh, huge fans of literary word and literature yeah. and whatnot and history. Um, so we go in there maybe at least once a week sometimes, it feels like. Yeah. Um, and we always naturally gravitate towards the, you know, uh, 
history section, U.S. history, world history, social sciences, anything related to that. And we were just wanting to briefly talk about how, and there's probably a lot of people that have noticed versions of this anyways, that every little minor thing in history has now yeah. had five books written about it. Right. I mean, we were literally just like, you know, um, what were some of the things we were seeing? Well, there was one that was we were, like an operation in 1942 of taking Malta or whatever yeah. for the Allies, and it's like, And I know okay. everybody knows this, but like World War II is literally probably other than Jesus, one of the most written about yeah. phenomenons in human global history. Yeah. So, yeah, we get it. But every little minuscule thing yeah. is now has, again, five books written about it. Uh to the point it's just growing more and more hilarious by the day. Yeah. I wish there was one that was all about like the guys that were on you know Washington crossing the Delaware yeah. basically like as you know. Yeah, and it's like thing. how they built the merchant marine or something. Yeah. I don't know what whatever it was. No, I mean like what I th- the, the thing that really I thought was funny about these there was a whole book just about the battle of New Orleans at the end of uh the war of 1812. Mm-hmm. And that like it literally had the gall to say, and, and you know a little bit more about this than me, but I feel pretty confident saying this, and I'll let you step in here. It says something like, uh, something, something, and how this battle changed America. And it's like, yeah. my understanding, and, and okay, Sorry, one way, let me say, one way it definitively would have changed America is it would have grown the, uh, you know, celebrity and, uh, Quotes reputation of Andrew Jackson to eventually become president of the United States and how he affected America in various ways. And yes, in a certain way, that's true. But other than that, the battle came at the end of well, a, the war. Literally, the war over. was over. They didn't know it, and they fought the war anyway, or the battle, battle yeah. anyway. And it was just like it didn't really mean. That's kind of the joke mm-hmm. of the Battle of New Orleans is it didn't really mean a whole lot, literally. Yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say if you're going to make any <coughs> argument for that, it would all rest on Andrew Jackson and the kind of accumulation of his reputation, which had already been happening over yeah. the course of the war, anyways. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is just this huge tendency, and I don't even know how much, uh, how many times it's the author's choice or the publisher's choice on some of this stuff to just come up with the most hyperbolic title of all time because it's all that's the only thing that's going to quote resonate, yeah. you know. This reshaped America, untold story of this. Like everything's untold, everything's reshaping, everything's. Oh, you thought the world was this way? Well, actually, this is turning. Yeah, and it's, it's, like, on its, it's head. like there was another book. I don't remember the first person, but it was them and Ida Tarbell, Muckraker made like a newspaper of some sort. Magazine, it's like yeah. how it rewrote America. It's just like it literally <laughs> said. Literally, you go to any bookstore, find that section, you will find a million books that are like how this changed America, this reshaped man who built America. Yeah. I, I mean, the men, the, the, literally all the same. And it's just like, everything doesn't have to be the most important thing No, you ever. can just say, you know, you know what, like, like, um... It's all part of a bigger thing. No, it's I like, that. It's like, the, like, you know... That new uh, Jimmy Carter biography that I bought and I want to read, uh, it's like, you know, Jimmy Carter, he was a president. That's inherently important. Let's talk about it. Like, everything doesn't have to be to the biggest... Game-changing extent. Not every book's written by Rick Perlstein, where he's yeah. going to like actually tell you how a lot in depth how certain presumptions we have are wrong and flawed, and here's why in a, yeah. in a very elegant way. Like, right. not everything is going to be that. Like, it's okay to just write a book about, hey, here are the guys that were also on 
the you know George Washington crossing Delaware. That inherently, to me, I'm a history nerd. I'm a history teacher. That to me is an inherently interesting thing. Yeah. Oh, who well, are those other a, men? That's just a problem. But you don't have you know. to act like it's this big right. game changing. Well, that's thing. just a problem with popular history in general. Is that it feels like it has to draw in these people who wouldn't be interested anyway. Yeah. And it's like I, you know, fine if that's what you have to do to get some info, information and again, in I, people's I'm brains. I'm wondering how like, much of that sure. is actually the writer doing that or yeah. how much that the publishers like we got to sell this with this and that even the writers sometimes are probably yeah. rolling their eyes and going well whatever if it sells yeah. the book i guess but like, at the same time there are and you're right there are a lot of writers out there who have this ego well, about themselves that they're like well no i think it actually is important because i'm talking about you know yeah, whatever true. and the, the, like there's another book i mean this is a little more uh, acceptable but it's like talking about all the presidents who basically became presidents after an assassination or a death. Or a death. And it's like how they changed America. Once again, it's just like, okay, like, and certain of those people are important. Like, I mean, the most important of those, I think, is uh, Theodore Roosevelt. But it's like uh, some of the other ones, like Andrew Johnson. Okay, yeah, sure. I mean, he, you know, It was actually one of the worst presidents ever, but right. actually the radical Republicans still got a lot of their agenda passed. Yeah, so. but and and so in the but at the same time, yes, he did kind of end forcibly a lot of uh reconstruction. Yeah. And so there is a certain I mean, he has a legacy for sure. Well, following Lincoln but, inherently yes, makes and, you important. But like and it's the same thing, but like John Tyler I mean, nothing against John Tyler, but what, what, and by the way, found this out recently that his grandson is still alive, yeah. which is just insane. But it's mm -hmm. like, other than that, what did he do really that has remained with us? Mm -hmm. People talk about how useless the bearded presidents were. I would argue that everyone from like between like Martin Van Buren, maybe, to like uh, James Buchanan. Mm -hmm. were some of the most irrelevant presidents. Like James K. Polk, maybe, or like right. Zachary Tyler in the sense that he like, you know, sorry, we're like, mm -hmm. you know, we're, uh, sorry, I don't get to teach social studies, yeah. so I have to do it on here now. Yeah. Like, is there Zachary Tyler really fighting for California, war, yeah, or fighting era. for California to be a free state? Like, stuff like that is important that it all leads up to the Civil War. But somebody like James Buchanan is literally the most irrelevant person that ever lived. Literally, like, yeah, I mean, his, well, other than being president of the United States, like, but his, but his legacy know, will always be that he was a total lame duck, wanted to do nothing about slavery. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, there's a legacy there, I get it, but it's like, not every president has to be the most relevant thing ever. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, and there, for there's their a, moment, they were important. And there's but, a, just in general you know, periods in American history where the importance of the presidency waned, yeah. especially after Reconstruct, really from Reconstruction's end. All the way till Theodore Roosevelt, even well, McKinley is was relevant. Yeah. Really, between that period, I mean, there, you know, you're talking about the bearded presidents. So there's just periods in American history where the importance of the presidency wanes, and certainly you get a rise or an increase in the entrepreneur as being one of the like well, and figures I think, of that and change history. And I think that's know? what the story of America is in those moments: is that the corporations ran the country. I yeah. mean, that's what. I mean, and not that they still don't, but like yeah. you know. That's what really was the power center. Yeah. We talk about people like John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie and Cornelius Vanderbilt because they were the real presidents of the country in certain ways, you know. Mm -hmm. And we talk far more about them than we do about uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, yeah. wh whoever that was, mm -hmm. or Grover Cleveland. Yeah. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? And so, 
anyway, that's the, that's what we were burning on yeah. as far as that. It's just like a randomness of everything has to be the most important thing. It doesn't, believe yeah. me. Everything can just, and not to say that all these things don't feed into larger, but that's the story of history. Everything feeds into these larger, con, almost consortiums of information that are important, but on their face are mere details in a bigger tapestry of history. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it doesn't have to be the most important thing ever. Like, believe me, the Allies taking... And, and by the way, this book about Malta, it didn't say anything about it being the most important thing ever. Okay? But if somebody would say, oh, this Battle of Malta, it really changed the war in Europe. Okay, is that as important as Abraham Lincoln? No. Yeah. That's a blatant fact. Like, yeah. you know. So, yeah. anyway. So, that's what we're burning <laughs> yeah, on this anyway. week. But now we're going to dive right into our film from the day. Yep. Marnie, again from 1964, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Natalie Tippy Hendren and Sean Connery. Uh, so, yep. yep. It's a 19, Marnie is a 1964 American psychological thriller film directed by that fellow. Screenplay by J. Preston Allen, uh, a female. Based on a 1961 novel of the same name by Winston Graham. And uh, what year did you say that, that novel was? Uh, Nineteen sixty-one. Okay, so very briefly yeah. before. So this. it doesn't give a really good summation here of it in the first part, but basically it's just about this uh, lady named um, Marion. Actually, is yeah. her real name, uh, or well, actually that's her fake name that she has, but her real name is uh, Margaret uh, Marnie Edgar. Uh, but she goes around under these different names and becomes a bookkeeper for these various like. Uh, businesses that have a lot of money of banks or yeah. whatever they are and basically gets in there gets ingratiated it's like this long-term game for her and then she steals the money out from under him gets away gets a new identity and does it all over again and just kind of jumping between all these various companies basically she gets caught in the act by uh, sean connery's character uh and his name is mark rutland mm-hmm. who's a wealthy widower Actually, a Southerner, I think, which is just so hard to believe for yeah. me. But, and he's um, not really doing a Southern yeah, accent in, And he lives in Philadelphia, but yeah, publishing company, and kind of learns that she is doing this type of stuff, and he basically forcibly hires her, catches her in the trap, and then blackmails her into marrying him. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's ba- a lot of um, unspoken trauma in her life. Yes, and then meanwhile, she has him. all this, like, trauma that's going on that isn't ever uh, explained until fully until later in the movie and that part of the whole movie is him like playing this weird it's like an early version of uh, something like Fifty Shades of Grey where it's like he's playing this kind of game of like who is the real Marnie and like yeah. uh, you know sexually assaulting her along the way yeah. um, but that the com- one thing we're going to talk about later the com- the complexity of the movie is that it kind of po- not kind of it does position him as a hero throughout yeah. some of the movie albeit a complicated one um, in a way that I think is you know obviously a lot of people think is very uh, you know uh, it's problematic prob- not problematic to say the least so. I think part of the complication of this movie is that just inherently by virtue of the art of cinema that Hitchcock in some ways is possibly you know subconsciously admitting a certain predation over yes. the star Tippi Hendren and that 
the it, that is not necessarily weirdly an endorsement of that, but a, in a weird way, just a portrait into his own madness. Yeah, you know what I mean. So like, as much as the movie itself may position Connery to be the hero, well, that's because Hitchcock himself is making this movie, and that makes it frankly interesting and ca- so fascinating all these years later to see is Hitchcock himself positioning himself a hero. But again, we can just look at that and say, well, that's just from the mind of someone who is a predator yeah. talking about or making this. And so yeah. in a weird way, I don't see it as an endorsement. I see it just simply as a portrait of, from someone who is maybe a predator or yeah. whatnot. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, so. All right, it? so the ac- actors Well, first, who's the screen? Who wrote the screenplay? Um, it was, like we said, it was uh, no, Jay Presson Allen, okay. a female. Um, let's see if she did anything else. Says she was a screenwriter, playwright, stage director, television producer, and novelist. A little bit of everything. Uh, a lot of stuff on her career, it looks like here. Let's kind of go to the bottom. It says movies that she wrote. Um, Wives and Lovers, Marnie, The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. That's kind of a big movie. Cabaret. Yeah. Good movie. Bob Fosse. Yeah. Um, Prince of the City. That yeah, the uh, May movie. Uh, Lord of the Flies adaptation in the 90s. Death Trap. Death Trap. Yeah. So, yeah, she's done a lot of random okay. kind of stuff. I'm just curious. Um, Travels with My Aunt, also. Um, it looks like she wrote. Um, anyway, so, yes. Uh, so, Tippi Hendren as Margaret Marnie Edgar. Um, I think she's actually the best of the uh, Hitchcock, Hitchcock blondes. blondes, very yeah. definitively, actually. I can't re- I mean, uh, you know... Uh, Grace Kelly is is quite good in the things she's in, but I'll admit I haven't still haven't seen To Catch a Thief. Um, I'll probably always be a little bit partial to Kim, uh, uh, even Marie Saint, yeah, excuse yeah. me, because of North by Northwest. Uh, but I think as far as pure acting right. power, yeah. Tippi Hendren is the best out of any of them. Yeah. I mean, this and the birds, yeah. you know, as well. And of course, it seems that her career kind of hit the skids after the this movie uh maybe possibly yeah in i mean ways the, for, that you can calls, read uh, about um the whole relationship between her and hitchcock making the birds and this that at first she was you know it's almost a sadly traditional hollywood story that um she felt so honored and privileged to be the next kind of big lead of hitchcock's films and again she hadn't really i think her first her on-screen debut i believe is the birds I think that was really? the first movie I think she was in. Uh, I think she was a model before that. Right. But uh, actually, The Pretty Girl. The Petty un- Girl, un- Uncredited. Okay. Icebox, Pretty Girl. That was in wow, 50. Petty Girl. That was yes, in- The Birds was mainly her movie. Yeah. And so then Countess from Hong She Kong. felt so honored and privileged, and that for most of the making of The Birds, and I was reading about this a little bit not too long ago, it was a great experience for her. She was working a lot, but she thought, you know, this is a great project to be on, especially coming after Psycho for Alfred Hitchcock, of all people. But the last, like, weeks of that, where they're doing some of the most aggressive bird stunts and bird things, was really took a toll on her. Yeah. Um, and then she read this, you know, read the script for Marnie and thought, wow, this is such a great character to do. And, like, you know, this could you know be a really great opportunity for me. That Hitchcock himself, his relationship with her became much more predatory, much more aggressive as they were making that. So much so that he even specifically sexually propositioned her while making that. 
she refused. He then literally, according to her, which I believe, threatened that he would ruin her career or blackball her from Hollywood yeah. and that he had this exclusive contract for her for the next, like, well, what started off as seven years and would not allow her to go and make any other movies uh, while she was under that contract right. until it expired. Yeah. And that she was very disappointed to learn that later on, that like during that time, that some big directors like Francois Truffaut actually wanted to make some yeah. movies with her. Mm. And that could have been a huge other stepping stone to her career. And that so she's been very out in the open in recent years that, um, you know, she was, you know, had these very traumatic uh, experiences making these two films that she made with Hitchcock. And it's very strange, and I imagine anybody else would feel this too. She feels a strange sense of remorse and regret for having been in them while also understanding these are great movies yeah. and that I had the opportunity to be in these and that the irony in that and the unfortunate nature right. of that. And again, um, we're going to talk about this later because I think this is frankly one of the best pieces on Hitchcock I've ever read and I've read quite a bit. Richard Brody has an article and I think I'm going to link this in the uh, uh, stuff for this week. Uh, Marnie is the Cure for Hitchcock Mania, which he wrote uh, five years ago uh, in 2016, where he talks about Marnie. He says that this is like one of the greatest performance, basically, in a Hitchcock film. Yeah. And again, she goes above and beyond all that she's asked to be. One thing that's interesting about this character, and we'll walk through this as we watch the movie as well, this is, all, I mean, literally the character's name based off the novel too, Marion. Yeah. Marion Crane, you can't help but think of from Psycho. And this is almost as if, what if Marion Crane didn't get happen right. to be murdered yeah. by Norman Bates? And and uh, I will say this character is a, seems like a more inherently messed up character than yeah. Marion Crane was yes. in Psycho. But it's almost operating under the pr premise or presumption of, hey, what if she was not killed and she got found out for taking that money in Psycho and what happens next? And, well, you're not going to be killed by Norman Bates but you yourself are going to be a victim of another form of predator. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and then she's just brilliant, I think, yeah. in this movie. Like yeah. I said, and all the things that she's asked to do is pretty extraordinary uh, and something that I think, frankly, only an actress could be able to do because, you know, acting's all about playing characters that are either versions of yourself or diversions from yourself and the two-sided double nature of that. And unfortunately, our society uh, forces women to do that each and every day. And yeah. I think that's something that this is one of the definitive, very strong, you know, uh, memorable performances in the Hitchcock canon that by coming so late in it can't help but shed light into a great many performances that yeah. existed before. It. Yeah. Uh one thing I want to quickly say, yeah, and she, I think she's yeah, amazing, and uh, especially in this, but uh, even more so than the birds. But I really love the birds. Uh, I was reading here about that movie Roar. Roar. One of the great all-time moments in any trailer. <laughs> this movie was a disaster. I mean, I'm literally reading here. She was in it, and her husband, uh, Noel Marshall, mm -hmm. uh, I believe. Uh, I want to see. I think he directed that. Yes. Roar! Which is a movie about all these, like, big game animals uh, on, like, a research park or something. Yeah. And, like, it's a very infamous movie, I know, because a lot of these things... But I'm going to read some stuff here. They're, uh, well, her daughter. I don't know who Melanie Griffith's father was, if it was him or someone else. Let me look. Uh, no, Peter Griffith, who had, they had been divorced. I was making sure about that. This is her second husband, Noel Marshall. But the Melanie Griffith was also. Well, it should in the be movie. said just real briefly that 
Tippi Hendren has kind of started a whole family of actors right. with Melanie Griffith, yeah. and then she was married to Don Johnson. Yeah. Dakota, Dakota Johnson, Johnson is her yes. granddaughter, right. Tippi Hendren's yeah. granddaughter. Anyways. Uh, but, yeah, so funny enough, we mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey. But, yeah. Yeah, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, the... Uh, just reading about some of the stuff that they had all these untrained it said 150 untrained lions tigers leopards and cheetahs uh and that so no animals were hurt but 70 members of the cast and crew were mauled out of 100 people (laughs) 70 percent chance hedron fractured a leg scalp wounds when an elephant bucked her off its back because she was riding it bitten in the neck by a lion required 38 stitches Incident can be seen in the film. Melanie Griffith also attacked, received 50 stitches to her face, feared she would lose an eye, recovered but was not disfigured. Marshall was attacked so many times, he was eventually diagnosed with gangrene. Oh my God. In one of the incidents, he was clawed by a cheetah when protecting the animals during a bushfire that occurred in 1979. All animals were evacuated. Several years were needed for him to recover from his injuries. Roar! In 1978, a flood destroyed the movie sets and killed three of the lions, so supposedly no animals were hurt, but uh, they were. Mm-hmm. Project set back several years. So, yeah, the movie took a long time to happen. That is just insane. Well, they I, were thought, crazy. I, thought, I thought the birds was bad in yeah. terms of things happening there. That, so, was, uh, wow. that just seems like total madness. Yeah. But anyway, I always wanted to see that movie, partly because of that, but it's kind of an infamous movie yeah. now, obviously, but... Yeah, and they thought it was going to be a big success. It cost seventeen million dollars and only grossed two million. Um, wow. She started the Roar Foundation to take care of the big cats. So they, I think, all this was inspired by they really cared about they cared about these big game animals. But and it seems like they probably what part of the problem was I'm assuming I don't know. There's probably scholars about all this. Yeah, that they. Or like, oh, let's kind of let the animals roam free. And it's like, they are wild animals. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they probably had this idea of, let's just kind of let them be free. Yeah. Like, And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong well, with them caring about them. Well, but that's like, fine to do in a certain habitat, but right. on a film set where you have yeah. human beings, that's not a combination that's right. going to be successful. So there were more animals than there were people, well. basically. So um, yeah, it sounds like that obviously was a total... Disaster. disaster of a movie but I was reading about I'd forgotten about all that and that yeah. she was involved but yeah Run. wow anyway awful Sean Connery this is at the height <laughs> um, of I mean Dr. No would have just yeah. came out you know what I mean at the height of his James Bond success um, yeah and then I guess uh, well Dr. No and well Dr. No from Russia with Love and I guess uh, Goldfinger would have come out this year yeah 64 so he was on top of the world star wise. Yeah. I mean, at this time, what do we think of the decision to cast him in this role, and what does that say about Sean Connery's star power that he was able to pull off this character? Well, it's weird and it's interesting because uh, Sean Connery's you know performances, he is the definitive James Bond. Let's make it clear. Yeah. I mean, uh, we think, yeah. um, despite all of the multitude of. Yeah, well, about how James Bond is a character. That's well, just the I, whole. I, I would say, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, uh, it, for all his problems, that. Signals a lot of what is pro- problematic about the character of James yeah. Bond. Anyway, that goes so. back to Ian Fleming. It's not just him in the movies themselves, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, you know that. Uh, that he at that time had this sort of, you know, 
charisma about himself that was different for James Bond that he kind of upends here and is definitively host- hostile. Yeah. Um, that I think is interesting. Um, though, of course, you know, Sean Connery has had all these, you know, weird, uh, well, not even weird, just outwardly predatory yeah. uh, statements. There's, of course, the very you know infamous statements he made to Barbara Walters about, I think it's okay to slap women around if they're... Uh, he said, I rewatched it this morning. It really is shocking and jaw-dropping that that was... He just readily said those things, saying basically that, oh, well, a, woman needs, a woman needs to be put in her place. She always wants to have the last word. I mean, totally abhorrent, yeah. you know, I I don't even know what to say about that stuff. It's yeah, just awful. like I mean, no. it's just amazing. I I and shocking, um, but the yeah, it fits the movie, I guess, in certain ways. After the fact, um, what do you think about? Well, again, yeah, I do hold as we said earlier. Sean Connery is the definitive James Bond in my book, and I think this is uh, is you know, speaks to what Connery's presence. What makes it interesting in this movie is this sense of control that he has over Marty. And that, again, he would be the type of character who would have one pulled over on him had he not caught Marty, but he does. And he feels as... And he kind of gets off on the notion of being with this woman who is a thief and that it's all a big game. And that normally she doesn't have to be privy to um, the violence of men like this, even though she is in many ways every day of her life. But that normally she's able to get out of this and escape it. But her... Being in this place all the time, constantly of being a victim of this man, ends up awakening these older psychological traumas that are ultimately what the movie's about. Um, and again, the whole notion of is he a quote hero or a villain? I think he's more accurately going to be seen as the villain. But part of the problem and what's scary, or well, not problem with the movie, but what's scary about this movie is that in some ways he's her only lifeline to actually grappling with what her yeah traumas are and the sadness and the tragedy of the a victim uh, the victim as being forced by her predator to actually confront those things is a very deeply rich psychologically fraught but fascinating look at trauma mm-hmm. um, that only the predator can actually help her get over or come to terms with or con- compartmentalize that grief or yeah. that trauma. It's a very rich and tough uh, message. Yeah. But one that I think is nonetheless very idiosyncratic. Which is weird because Hitchcock yeah. himself I think it's tell. both intentional and unintentional. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I don't it, think all right. of this film's brilliance is intentional. No, I yeah. think part of it is that Hitchcock is being so open about his perversity that naturally that just is in of itself a portrait of perversity. Right. Um, as far as the other actors, there's not a whole lot of other big actors in the movie. I just want to mention them quickly. Uh, Diane Baker as uh, her his former sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really remember a lot of these people in the movie, I'll go ahead and say, but... Wow, look at that, that guy. Guy, that's old Martin Gable um, as uh, Marnie's ex-boss at some yeah. point. Louise Latham as Marnie's mother. She's in quite, you know, here and there in yeah. the movie, quite good. Uh, Bob Sweeney is Mark's cousin Bob. I'm not sure which person that's supposed to be there in that picture. There's two people. Um, One we remember, Alan Napier. Who most uh, people would probably recognize. Played Alfred in Batman, the animated series. Plays uh, his father, Mark's father. Yeah. 
Um, and then we'll just do one more here. <laughs> Bruce Dern, legend, hero of the pod, as the uh, it turns out to be the uh, predator that ruined her life. Yeah, that's um, not heroic. No, um, but it's interesting, yeah, that he was in this and then was later in Family Plot. Um, so he kind of worked with Hitchcock, kind of at the end of Hitchcock's career. Mm-hmm. Um, but and some of them later movies when he was younger, right? Yeah. Um, and he's talked. He's got some good little stories. I think mostly about Family Plot. I think more so. Yeah, because he was very. He's, bar- he's only in one scene um, of this movie at the very yeah. end. Yeah. Um, really weird. But it's a very weird to just see, oh, by the way, Bruce Dern as the predatory sailor at the end of the movie. It's just like, oh, okay. Like, when you know who he... At the time, it wasn't anything. It was just like some guy who know, who cares yeah. who he is. But, yeah, now it's like, oh, Bruce Dern. Okay. Yeah. But, anyway. Yeah. Because it's mainly... That's another thing that speaks to the movies. It's mainly Hendren and Connery. Right. Um, I mean, there are other actors in the movie, clearly, but... But those are the two big that. stars. Yeah. Uh, the movie was made for three million dollars. It made seven million. Uh, it's important to note that uh, you know a lot of Hitchcock's movies were seen as these kind of smut pictures um, and weren't taken big as seriously. popular entertainment. Yeah, yeah, that where they made a lot of money, but critically weren't always all that beloved uh, and weren't really cared about, except for by the French. Yeah. Usually, the, but, and uh, this is going to transition, I think, into us talking yeah. about what Hitchcock means to us in general. I mean. You know, we have always lived in an era where Hitchcock has been held up as this high artistic yeah. auteur. And that was around the time the whole world word auteur was starting to become more of a big buzzword. To take in perspective, though, of the, eva- the elevation of who Hitchcock was critically, or com- critically in the United States is really to kind of say, imagine a world in which J.J. Abrams, all of a sudden, there are these critics around the world yeah. are like, J.J. Abrams is actually the best director working today. That Rob and, Zombie is an awesome film. Yeah. Uh, but just like, yeah. but somebody like J.J. Abrams, yeah. oh, they just make these big popular movies. They're not even that good. And trust, I'm not actually saying that J.J. Abrams is a great filmmaker. In fact, he's very deeply flawed. So let me just say that. I don't think he is. But it would be like if somebody yeah. did, and you'd be like, what? Yeah. Huh? And that, like, of course, Hitchcock is this great master filmmaker, but he and was always people in America that realized that. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to make. But it, sound it was like especially he, right. the yeah. French New Wave and a lot of these uh, French critics in general who were like, actually, he's really great, and here's why, and talking about those movies and saying, sure, there are these individual movies, but they're all part of this progression of an artist at work, and you can see this early thing in early Hitchcock movies that becomes the most refined version of it in the 50s versions yeah. of Hitchcock movies. Um, so let me just say, I mean, that is what it would have sounded like to someone to say, oh, J.J. Abrams is actually this big, grand yeah. artist. And you'd be like, are you crazy? Are you smoking something? No one will ever say that yeah. about J.J. Well, sadly, who knows? Uh, in today's critical yeah. discourse, that could very well happen, unfortunately. Well, people do that every day with Marvel movies. Is oh, actually, like, Iron yeah. Man 2 is actually great. It's like, no, it's not. I saw it. It's the best Mickey Rourke movie. movie. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Uh, but like, and so. Like we stand for uh, for uh, You're the Dragon. Though, but. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about a deeply flawed movie? Yeah. Well, but I anyway. like that. Oh, yeah, no, I love it in its own way. Yeah. But. Uh, Hitchcock. Thoughts. <laughs> uh, we're laughing because he, and he still is one of my favorite filmmakers, really. But I mean, they're. We talked about this a little bit before. I'm going to just do the Cliff Notes version, yeah. the, the Cliff Booth Notes version. Yeah. Talk about another Predator. Mm-hmm. Um, version of this as quick as I can. 
Alfred Hitchcock meant everything to me at a certain point. And he still does. I mean, I'm not acting like I'm like... Well, it's very interesting we follow yeah. this up with Kubrick because yeah. both in many ways were some of the first filmmakers we started to look yeah. at and associate with their names and attach right. that with them. Yeah. Both are, quote, known as these big auteurist people. Both have these skeletons in their closet that are making yeah. them complicated as auteurs. So it's actually very fitting that we follow up our first yeah. Kubrick movie with our first Hitchcock movie. Yeah, so... Movie. Uh, I would because say because of what those movies yeah. meant to us at certain ages, right. getting into and them. Uh, yeah, for me, when we got our Netflix DVD stuff, I mean Ang- Angus McMurdo. That's what we were talking about last week. Uh, but like some of the first stuff that I rented off of there were uh, Hitchcock movies, and I think I went back and looked. You can like go back and oh, look really? at the history, mm-hmm. I, and I don't remember now. Uh, Maybe I'll do that while we're watching the movie here in a little bit to make sure. I think Vertigo was my first. Uh, that I saw that rear window rope. I think some of those were the first. Uh, I love now, and Vertigo is still one of my favorite movies. But uh, I think now I changed it on the pod a couple weeks ago to uh, Pew's Big Adventure. Yeah. Now, but um, but yeah, that Vertigo. The first time I ever saw that, there was a certain sense of you know I'd seen enough movies by that point to know how movies worked. I was only around ten years old when I saw the movie. Uh, which is insane to me still that I love that movie as much as I did then. Yeah. But I knew enough about movies to know there's a way, there's a rhythm that movies work with. This A, B, C, there's this happens, this happened. The Sid Fieldization of right. like screenplay, like this is the way movies work and this is the only way they can. Which work. in many ways was reverse um, engineered from how classic Hollywood had worked from the very beginning right. in many ways. And so. But then only is further reinforced yeah. when everybody reads that book and right. that screenplay. To see that a way. movie like um, Vertigo, where okay, you've got everything going on, it's a ghost story, blah blah blah. One of your main characters is killed halfway through the movie; she's dead. Yeah. What happens next? The whole movie is totally open of just like we have no clue what is going to happen. Like, and I remember just this. It's my favorite section of the movie. It's that whole section in the middle where he's just wandering around. And is like damaged, and it's just like he's just. It's just like what it feels like. The movie's just on autopilot. It's like what is going to happen? I have no clue. And then you have the character re-enter the movie. Spoiler: the same person re-enter the movie of like they look a lot like that person. What's going on? And then the movie becomes about something totally different. And to see that as a movie at that age, and and I think really, I think I did understand what the movie was saying. I mean, I'm not trying to be like yeah. old galaxy brain ten year old, but I felt like I really did follow what the movie was trying to say about. And over time, I've more understood it as the movie being about an obsession. Yeah. But I feel like I still understood it at a basic level at that age, and and I just really struck a chord with me, and I've felt that way about it since and it is very interesting um, to see that as your first hitchcock move because yeah. for me it was the later one i saw yeah. um but because in many ways while it is very it's hitchcockian to the hitchcockian most hitchcockian it is very like him doing a freestyle a little bit it's yeah. not as regimented of a plot as a lot of his other movies are it is a bit of him or, going off the yeah. deep end a little bit and trying something new and different and it should be said that movie was not successful when it came out. It now is literally held as perhaps the greatest film ever made, if not one of. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, it was seen as like, oh, and he was making a movie almost every year. So it was like, oh, okay, this one he was doing a little something different, whatever. All right, North Park Northwest next year already. Yeah. And so it is fascinating that that's your first one, and it's kind of an atypical one, but also being the culmination of a lot of already Hitchcockian yeah. things that had been happening. And so 
in that way, you know, I was sitting thinking this morning about this. I was like, you know, it would have been interesting if Hitchcock would have made different types of movies, you know. Not always the thriller, not always the mystery. mystery. But then I kind of sat and realized, no, he did make those types of movies, even within that, as far as making a movie like Vertigo, which is very much a romantic drama. Or, uh, you know... uh, even they weren't like westerns, but like even making a movie like North by Northwest, which is very much in a lot of western settings, yep. and moves all over, and that movie moves all over the place. But like, and then I kind of sat and thought, no, he kind of did make all those movies in, in but its he put, own he weird had a way. Stamp on it that but, makes it feel like right. Hitchcock was so, the genre, and even a movie like itself. The Wrong Man, which is like a very insular. Do- I mean, it's a docudrama. It's a very weird kind of movie, and yeah. it feels a lot like. Those kind of fifties, Preminger esque, Preminger, Twelve Angry Men, on the waterfront type of movies Realism. that were that, that were like yeah. yeah that were very much of like a of a method type of acting style and narrative style that isn't that but it yeah. feel that the wrong man isn't exactly that but it feels like Hitchcock doing his version of that. Yeah. it's very weird so he made a lot of different types of movies he made some comedies yeah. too I mean you know yeah. and all his movies have and, comedy right. in them you I know. guess he never really made a musical but that's yeah. you know the only real thing was, but then but, but it, 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 he never did make a musical but the Collision of Bernard Herman's music with certain yeah. set pieces in his movies yeah. make them feel. I feel like, like there's the sec- and I say that, and then I start thinking there is the section in uh, the Man Who Knew Too Much, the remake uh, that is. I mean, it's one of the most famous sequences in any movie. That it is very much playing as a music. It is a musical in its own way. Everything that happens in that. So in its own way, he and did he made horror that. movies. And, yeah, I mean, Psycho's the most the one of most iconic horror movies ever made. I mean, you know, so, and, the and even frenzy. and even something like yeah. this is not technically a horror movie, but it's kind of like Spencer in the sense of it deals with some surrealism and it deals with like uh, emotional psychological yeah. kind of horrors as well. You know, so. I, yeah, so it sounds funny to just kind of limp, just go limp-wristed and kind of just phone it in on what to say about Hitchcock, but it's just like, I don't know, I've been talking about Hitchcock, and everybody's been talking about Hitchcock for their whole lives to the point where I'm just like, I don't actually really have a whole lot to say constructively sure. about Hitchcock other than he is one of the greatest filmmakers, if not the greatest filmmaker that has added so much to cinema that to sit and talk about it, we would need a whole podcast in itself to do. One of the few filmmakers that have their own adjective that actually uh, deserves it, as far as Hitchcockian. Kubrickian is sometimes said as well. But, uh, yeah, so love Hitchcock, even though he's a complicated man in itself. And Um, I think... uh, all that too, as I said last week at the end, Vertigo is a movie that for me I totally understood what the plot was, but I just was not on the emotional wavelength of that movie when I first saw it, and I, you know I'm I'm wrong on that because I saw it again. I, I saw it in a Hitchcock class, and it, I, I, the next time I would have seen that movie, I would have yeah. realized this anyways. If it was just by myself, totally unconnected to that, I realized this. But to see that as these progression of movies, and then you get to that, was an overwhelming experience. And then, as I said last week, like anytime that movie is literally just said out loud, like the next time I will say Vertigo now, or you will say the name Vertigo, that movie only grows in my estimation of how dense it is. I mean, that is that movie. It's often not classified as noir, but to me, is the the end result of noir. That is where noir yeah. was all leading to was a movie like that. Uh, 
to be made as big as it was for one. I mean, can you imagine a movie today like getting the budget that that has and the look that that has and the imprint yeah. that that has being made by a studio being made today? The only thing that could come even close to that, I think, is probably Gone Girl by David Fincher. Is the only thing I can think that is that perverse and messed up to be made as a studio movie. That's the only thing I can really think of that has any kind of uh, comparison. Or and like, what's ironic is it was coming out the October of 2014, that movie did, when I was having that Hitchcock class. So yeah. it felt, I just felt like a lot of stuff was going on there yeah. to me. Um, and so, again, I saw Vertigo again, and it just really blew my mind. And that's just something that uh, is, I mean, my favorite Hitchcock movie is, has always been and probably forever will be North by Northwest. But uh, Vertigo and Marnie are both like way up there too in Psycho's movie that I've always liked but has only grown in my estimation. The Birds also, Rear Window, I mean that the technique of that movie is just extraordinary. So that's the, th you know, for me, I'm sure to an extent for you as well, when you think of Hitchcock, you're mostly thinking of 50s and 60s Hitchcock. And yeah. he made all these other movies before that, like, you know, Notorious. That's a particularly great movie made in the mid-40s. Um, or uh, Strangers on a Train. But, or, I mean, yeah. the 50s, 60s era Hitchcock was really him at his kind of height. Well, that wasn't a 50s one. Not only uh, yeah. commercially, but artistically. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock presents that and the combination of his cameos in his movies. He's one of the few directors that people just know what they look like. Across yeah. the board, even now, oh, that's Alfred Hitchcock, and part of it, he looks like a penguin waddling around. Right. Yeah. But like, I mean, um, but he was someone who was like willing to put himself out there as a celebrity director, and that was something that was relatively new, yeah, in the fifties and into the sixties. Um, what about like those fifties Hitchcock movies into the sixties as well? For you, separate them as kind of the culmination of his artistic journey. Well, and as part of when you kind of move on to our next part about this is that there's the maturation of his whole career yeah. that he I felt like was constantly revising his own style, remaking some of his own movies directly or indirectly, right? Yeah. Because uh, North by Northwest is pretty much a remake of the movie Saboteur in a lot of ways. Well, it's Saboteur um, is Thirty Nine Steps, right, his foreign yeah. correspondent. It's yeah. like all those spy right. espionage movies, yeah. all in its most perfect finished right. package. And by so, that point. Uh, and in its own way, Vertigo is kind of a remake of Rebecca. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean. So in that way, he's always constantly revising himself, and I feel like at that point he was really getting into this zone of I really know how to make these the most effectively, the most uh, shockingly, the most perversely, like the most of everything. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's just also you know the ability to get past the censors a little more, and and just the the uh, language of film was changing and. Foreign films and international films were becoming more uh, of a item in America in the fifties and sixties, and that I feel like that in its own way was just influencing him to do th different things that worked better. Right. Um, yeah. And that's ideally, I think, what most directors sh should become as they age. They become, yeah. and not many do, but like the most like refined versions of themselves. Um, I think of older directors now, like, say, Martin Scorsese or David Lynch, quite literally my two favorite filmmakers ever. Um, they're not necessarily the most versions of themselves, but as I've talked about in the past, they've kind of moved into the old man versions of themselves, which I really appreciate in mm -hmm. terms of 
I'm going to return to things you've seen me do before, whether it be the gangster movie or whether it be Twin Peaks, but I'm going to do it from a little bit more of a slower, subtler, removed place and the brilliance that's come from things like The Irishman or The Return. Yeah. Um, Hitchcock, and one thing I really value about this movie in particular, because I think Psycho kind of represented the the, the three film run particularly of Vertigo, North by Northwest, and Psycho. Yeah. There will never be a director that makes three movies consecutive. You know, every right. once in a while on film Twitter, speaking of film Twitter, it's like, ooh, what's the best consecutive run of movies? There will never be anything that will touch those three movies ever. Yeah. Go ahead and put it out there. Guaranteed, if it happens, I'm wrong, I'll admit it. There will never be anything that those three movies, the brilliance of those. And so, you've seen more of the post-Psycho movies than me. But what's fascinating about The Birds and then this is that he know. I feel like he knows subconsciously he has reached a certain artistic height. And so his movies are going to become a little bit less about plot. They're going to kind of just be a little bit more expressionistic in some ways. And that by not being as concerned with the plot, he starts to fall back on some of his own hallmarks and, as Richard Brody suggests in this Marnie piece, which I want to read from here in a little bit, reveals and is more explicit about certain own preoccupations about himself that are very fascinating and very revealing and could only be done after he's done everything possible with those run of movies yeah. that he's had. Um, what about Marnie to you is indicative of maybe some of these earlier moves. I think in many ways, Marnie actually acts as a little bit of a spiritual pseudo-sequel to Vertigo in terms of the obsession of man on a woman and how that can destroy a woman. Yeah. You know? I think it actually is uh, sort of most similar in a lot of ways to Notorious. That, um, that as well. In the yeah. sense of the, uh, taking like a debonair kind of figure like uh, Cary Grant or uh, Sean Connery and kind of dirtying them up and kind of questioning of what do they actually feel towards this female character, whether it be Ingrid Bergman or uh, Tibby Hendren. Um, now, of course, that is far more like this is a spy plot, so it's not a direct you know correlation, but that's the movie I actually think of most, mm -hmm. uh, usually, when I think of that. Well, it's interesting, um, too, another thing, all three of the movies, um, Notorious, Vertigo, and then Marnie, are all about men who find something out about a woman that is, quote, objectively bad. Yeah. One is the daughter of like a Nazi. Yeah. One is literally faking like her own death, an accomplice yeah. in a murder. And then in this, this woman is stealing from people. Yeah. Things that are objectively bad, but then going above and beyond in their own perversity yeah. that they are the villains. Not uh, notorious, I think, is the most different in this right. regard. But they themselves become the villains of the story. And that okay, sure, this woman made a mistake, but you're going to use that as the end-all, be-all excuse to subjugate her to everything that you want them to yeah. be, you know? And in that way, those three movies share a pretty stark right. similarity. Obsession is kind of similar to, yeah. um, as far as being uh, another Cary Grant movie about a man who's crazy. Um, but yeah, and I'll just say, uh, I do really love Marnie. I think it's really quite good, but I've always felt a little cold towards it. Mm -hmm. um, more so, I think, than you... Um, that I find I mean, I find a very interesting movie, but I think it is that that kind of later career post Birds, uh, Hitchcock. I kind of feel that way about as far as movies like Torn Curtain, Topaz, Family Plot, 
um, that I'm kind of just like, yeah, I just don't really feel it with some of these. Like, you know, it's just getting kind of, but now this is by far the, but this is kind of the last stop really, uh, on the Hitchcock train, um, of like, okay, this is the last one that really had something interesting to say. Yeah. Um, but the movie, I guess, and what I kind of like about it is that it doesn't rely on all these set pieces and, it's kind. Of, it's a lot more of an insular, movie, but it's just a very uncomfortable movie. It is, yeah. Um, and I think that that's part of my kind of coldness towards it. But to, that makes it sound like I don't like no, the I movie. You, but I, it, mean, it, yeah. I do. I do quite like it. But it's not uh, something that you you eagerly. Like, I'm gonna go watch no, Marty right. again. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's a movie that I forget a lot about because I kind of I don't intentionally block it from my mind necessarily. But I'm kind of like it makes. I'm just like okay. I'm gonna kind of let I'll put Marty back on the shelf. I'll kind of come. But that's kind of what's exciting about it to me in its own way is that I keep coming back to it and it keeps be- feeling a little newer and very ugly. And yeah, I think um, this will, for me, only be my third time I've seen it. But it's a movie that, especially coming after my reevaluation of Vertigo and uh, some of those other movies that I had not seen or hadn't seen new eyes that I saw for the first time then in 2014 when I yeah. saw it, and was just immediately made an impression on me is like, wow, what a perverse, messed up, uh, portrait of a director again revealing themselves to be a predator and kind of saying yeah but let me try to excuse it and they don't but their attempt to do so is in of itself a revealing fascinating novel yeah cinematic experiment nonetheless um i guess we yeah we already talked about kind of yeah i think um why is this maybe our first hitchcock movie we decided to well do? i part of it's probably because we love just throwing these curveballs you know, and just doing something a little different. But I think, uh, I think part of it is because I think it'll be an interesting to really. Just, it's like not so much wrapped up in the look at this shot where this thing is shown and this perspective. It's a lot more just kind of. I wouldn't even say bare bones because there is a lot of technicality in the movie. But I feel like it's just a lot more of a more grounded, more psychological movie than some of his other ones even are. To a point where it's interesting to kind of dissect. Um, and I feel like it's about different things that some of his other movies aren't, maybe. And to that end, I want to read a little or bit from this much, um, New Yorker piece from uh, Richard Brody, um, who, again, he he thinks uh, Marnie is Hitchcock's greatest film, but also sees it, in some ways, as a rebuke to the celebration yeah. of Hitchcock, which I think to be a very fascinating um, thing. I want, to, I want to read some Go excerpts ahead. from this. Yeah. This will be the last thing we'll do before we go to the break. Marnie isn't a horror movie, but it's a movie of horrors, and those horrors are connected to sex. If there's one constant to Hitchcock's career, it's sex. Sexual desire, sexual aversion, sexual fear, sexual repression, sexual gratification. As the engine of human society, at both its best, its occasional acts of heroism, and worse, the crimes that he films with such cunning and such unnerving relish. Hendren's performance is one of the greatest in the history of cinema, and it's inseparable from the pathology of Hitchcock's approach to her, personal and cinematic. Marnie is a woman who is othered to the vanishing point, whose identity is both elusive and absolute, exalted to the height of his passion, and thus rendered utterly passive, statue-like, inhuman, and inanimate in the presence of desire. It's exactly what Hendren had and what Hitchcock elicited. She may not have been the most comprehensively trained actress in Hollywood, but she has a singular presence that mixes alertness and abstraction, a presence that at the same time an absence and he pushes it to its extreme. Um, there's something else he had said here I want to read. 
greatness of Hitchcock's artistry, the musical sublimity of his images, and the emotional power of his stories isn't inseparable from his carnality. Rather, his greatness depends upon the worst and most bestial aspects of his character. Without them, he'd be the artisan of cinematic cuckoo clocks. And what's all too often celebrated in the name of Hitchcock mania is precisely an abstracted craft that isolated from its source of power, from its dynamic principle, from its reason d'etrant. So he's basically saying part of the reason Hitchcock was so great was because he was engaging in his, a lot of his most perverse, messed up qualities. Yeah. I think Marnie is, in many ways, one of the fullest displays yeah. of those impulses. Any yeah. other thoughts before we No, I think that I think that's part of why we're, we're doing it, adding on to that, is, yeah, that it's like a very pure uh, examination of, yeah, Hitchcock's own self. And, uh, and I feel like a lot of his movies were, but... Fascinating um, that he's putting himself as like, oh, Sean Connery represents me. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, one of the uh, um, last thing we'll end on something that Tippi Hendren said about Hitchcock on the set of uh, when they were making this Marnie. Uh, da, 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 see, uh, she again has written over the years about their relationship, and as we talked about earlier, the flaws in that. Um, During the filming of Marnie, uh, Hendren found uh, Hitchcock's behavior towards her increasingly difficult to bear as the film progressing progressed. Everyone, I mean, everyone knew he was obsessed with me. He always wanted a glass of wine or champagne with me alone at the end of the day. He was really isolating me from everyone else. Um, where is it at? I want to find exactly what she said here. She called him a, uh, a certain name. Uh, called the director a fat pig in front of the people on set. Hitchcock only, made only a comment to this about his biographer, John Russell Taylor. She did what no one is per- permitted to do. She referred to my weight. Okay, so again, <laughs> yeah. that was uh, really affecting for him. Yeah. Uh, he didn't make a follow-up movie about anyone calling somebody a fat pig, but, uh, you know. Clearly... Maybe he could, He should have made that uh, version of the Darren Aronofsky movie, The Whale. Yeah, yeah. It could have worked. been like, my... My weight problem. Yeah. So before we get to the trailer, let's just briefly talk about the nature of Hitchcock trailers. They yeah. were obviously very iconic in of themselves. One of the few directors, again, and this only added to his public persona as a director who was there up front saying, "This is a movie. This is a film." Not acting yeah. as though it's like this narrative in a you know that just magically appeared that he made the movie. Um, and he's oftentimes in the trailers for his movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Hitchcock's trailers for you? or separate them or are fascinating as their own memorable well, artistic statements. Well, I love the one for the birds. I think that's his best one. Um, and Matt, some of uh, the Psycho and the birds, I think, are the most memorable. Marnie doesn't really do this as a trailer. His is a little bit more like uh, it shows him with a camera. It feels almost like he's like, I don't really know how to present this one because it's so much about sex, 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 yeah. or whatever. But with those other ones, it's like I really love the conception of those where Psycho, it's like he's touring the Bates Motel and the Bates House. Nice, pleasant music. And it goes on and on and on. It's like, I'm showing you all where all these things happen. And then, obviously, at the end, it has this very blatant, you know, it's like part of the shower scene. It's very shocking and loud and bombastic. Same kind of thing with the birds, where it's like he's giving this lecture about birds, and it kind of goes on. It's kind of boring, yeah. and like, <laughs> and like, then at the end, Tippy Hendren runs in, and it's like, oh, they're coming or whatever, and it's just like it lures you in, 
and kind of sucks you in. It's almost and like then he was like, the master of suspense. Yeah, and then it just slaps you across the face yeah. like, and says, this is what I am, you know. Yeah. And it, I mean, it is a, it really is a master, masterful sense of uh, making trailers. And it's weird because nobody, like I said, nobody else was doing that. And nobody else has really ever done that. Yeah. Um, so, and again, that only added to why people know who he is. Right. Is, oh, that's Alfred Hitchcock. And again, Alfred Hitchcock presents, he was like the Rod Serling in many ways of that in terms of being out up in front and... I don't know if you've seen many of those episodes. I, I mean, we watched some in college, I remember. And all of them have these, like, little intros. Some of yeah. them are funny. Some of them are trying to be funny. But, like, of him in the beginning and at the end talking about the stories. Yeah. And that would only have added to how people knew him. Oh, that's that guy on TV. Or, like, or his cameos in the movie. I think he's got one, obviously, in this as well. He stares um, basically right at the camera. It's, like, towards the beginning. Like, look at what a pervert I am. About it. Yeah, he's like, look at me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to play the trailer for that and uh, you can hear it in and of itself because he's talking in it. I would recommend you see the very end of the trailer. It's all like visual in terms yeah. of the titles. It's like, like uh, a sex story, a mystery, a detective story, a love story, yes, and more. Yeah. Well, it's just, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So we're going to play the trailer yeah. for Hi uh, Hitchcock. No. For, Hi for, for Hitch. Hitchcock. We're not going to, we're not doing the uh, Alfred Hitchcock. We're not doing the Anthony Hopkins Hitchcock movie. Or the one Toby or Charles the was girl. in uh, yeah, yeah. about the birds yeah. production. But, anyway. but so we're going to play the trailer for Marnie and then we're going to dive right into the movie. How do you do? I am Alfred Hitchcock, and I would like to tell you about my latest motion picture, Marnie, which will be coming to this theater soon. Marnie is a very difficult picture to classify. It is not psycho, nor do we have a horde of birds flapping about and pecking at people willy-nilly. We do have two very interesting human specimens, a man and a woman. One might call Marnie a sex mystery, that is, if one used such words. But it is more than that. Perhaps the best way to tell you about the picture is to show you a few scenes. This is Mark coming down the stairs of his family home outside Philadelphia. He is a thoughtful man, dark and brooding. He is, in a sense, a hunter. And this is what he is hunting, Marnie. Seeing her in her mother's modest house, one wonders how two such different people could cross paths. It was certainly not Marnie's idea. Marnie was going about her own business like any normal girl. Happy, happy, happy. Suddenly into this colorful life comes Mark. At first he didn't know what to make of Marnie. She does seem a rather excitable type. What would account for this strange behavior? Has she just realized that she forgot her umbrella? The colors, stop the colors. What colors? Marnie's trouble goes deeper than that. Far deeper. And this is the problem which Mark must probe. But first, something must be done to calm this girl. Our hero applies mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. 
But that may give you the impression this picture is all sex and no mystery. Not so at all. Here, for example, Marnie is speaking to, uh, I'm not sure who actually, but he is a man from her past, a past she seems to be denying. Oh dear, they're at it again. Let me assure you that this is all in the spirit of investigation. And this, here is further proof that Marnie is a talking picture. You don't love me. I'm just something you've caught. You think I'm some kind of animal you've trapped. That's right, you are. And I've caught something really wild this time, haven't I? I've tracked you and caught you, and by God, I'm going to keep you. That should be quite enough. If you wish to hear more, you will have to buy a ticket. As for which one of them is the wild animal, there are times when I'm not sure. I don't think that was necessary. Actually, I think I should withhold comment, since I'm not certain I understand this scene. I shall leave the explanation to your own vivid imagination. It would appear that Mark has a single solution for all problems. This is not so. Mark is a complex man, dark and forbidding. He can also be kind and considerate. And he is also a troubled man. Troubled because he cannot seem to unravel the mystery of the girl called Marnie. Mysteries of time. Yeah, We're normally actually, we do this immediately after, but we actually took a break yesterday, so yeah. uh, here you are. So, so, to recap, memes suck, yep. and if you don't take Dune seriously, I don't want to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, Hitchcock, I mean, great. If you, I mean, if, problematic. Yeah, right. Uh, Will Smith's family, screw you, and uh, <laughs> also, uh, everything didn't change America. Okay. Yep. Very good. Oh, and Spencer was good. Still. Yeah. It didn't, yeah. It didn't, didn't get worse. change in like 24 hours, yeah. yeah. So, we're watching this off the Universal Blu-ray. We're hitting play in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 1, 1, 1. Bernard Herman like, freaking out. Here we go again. Another Universal movie, by the way. Yeah. Oh, well. By the way, if we were going to get paid by anybody, I would prefer it to be Warner Brothers, but... Or as some call it, Warner Bros. Universal wouldn't be the worst studio, though. No. Nah. a p- paycheck from. I mean, we've been doing a lot of their movies, so... From the novel by Winston Graham. <laughs> you know, oh, Luis Latham. Know, by the way, I forgot to say this movie has a PG. It ought to have more than that, I think. But, like, PG-13. Bruce Dern, there he is. Alan Napier. Of course, uh, this is before the uh, rating system, but they went back and, re- and yeah. rated all these, you know. <clears throat> Certain movies they did. Well, uh, Hitchcock movies. But yeah. there's just a lot of movies that just not rated or whatever. Yeah. just didn't get the... Treatment. Well, that's what I'm saying. With these, they went back and did, yeah. What about Psycho? What about <coughs> it's an R. Okay. I don't necessarily disagree That had with to that. be one of those movies that, I mean, by the 60, the 
production code was starting to wane anyways. It was in its last stages, but that had to be a movie that was huge, you know. I actually don't know a whole lot of that specific history, but I'm sure it really tested the limits of yeah. what was uh, yeah. going to be in it. George Tomasini. Tomasini. A-C-E. Something very chilling to me about title sequences like this or in general that like you don't see the hand it's just like looks yeah. like it's magically happening and, and... Rita Riggs 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 I got a bomb um yeah uh, we'll quit there yeah just go look up Jordan Peele's Donald uh, Don, Don, yeah, Donald Glover impression no, Danny Glover impression yes. excuse me well he got mad about that one time yeah. so well, we made sure that name be yeah. super big. It's always been very no, striking. No, just kind of starts. It's like, oh, it's like okay. this yellow bag. What she got in there? And the bag? French were like, <gasps> like it's, oh my god, like oh my god, film. <laughs> <laughs> Poetic yeah. sound as Tarkovsky, but whatever. Somewhere not on, French. Somewhere in the continent. Who did not die well? He did actually in the eighties, but whatever. So scratch that. So, um, zilch, maybe. Imagine like, robbed. robbed. <laughs> First line yeah. of the Like I said uh, earlier, or yesterday, in my case, moments ago in your case, uh, that, you know, this is like, oh, another Marion stealing from her, you know. Where yeah, she's and we had talked like, about that, how it's like kind of a, a alteration on Psycho that it's like she goes into it much more kind of half-heartedly, kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, like uh, sheepishly, worriedly, and then eventually he's like, oh, I need to go back and give the money back. So, and this, it's like she's successful. Yeah. Doesn't care, like, you know, more effective, like. But she's damaged inside, like, okay. One of the most interesting parts of Psycho Real, like, is. like Susan Plachette vibes here. Is early on, you know, Suzanne where Plachette. after she's left, she's starting to feel some regret and, like, oh, yeah. maybe I should go back and take the money back, but then she never gets that opportunity. Almost. So I gathered. <laughs> well, pretty good with no reference. It's supposed to be Southern, by the way. Black yeah, hail. Sean Connery yeah. is Southerner. Like. Yeah. Yeah, I think all women have legs, sir. Yeah. But, you know, or most do, anyway. His Mr. Strut. Love to watch him strut. strut. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite Bob Seger songs. Little Witch. <laughs> 20 years. I don't think she'd get 20 years, but... All the setup. This guy reminds me of somebody. Resourceful? This guy, not the yeah, other guy. Yeah. This guy, there's something about this guy. Yeah. Something about yeah. this bond. Hitchcock, he's coming up here, ain't he? Or is he yeah, he's here? right here, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Why? What, you do, know? We, what do we like, think in general about uh, the, the idea I of the Hitchcock cameo? I think they're like, stupid, but I mean, I the one my favorite one is probably the most blatant one, which is in North by Northwest, where it always says to get on his the bus, name. Yeah, and and, I think that's yeah. kind of funny. But uh, plus, I think the earlier in the movie you get it, the quicker you can get over it. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. And most of them actually are pretty early on. Yeah. Uh, the one in Vertigo is very early. the one in Vertigo is so brief it's pretty much pointless, really. But yeah, um, it be anybody else. It's always usually him walking by or something like the one in Psycho. It's early. most of his actually are pretty early on. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to actually think of one that isn't. I don't really know. Well, there's the one in uh, Rear Window where he's like in the other apartment, and I think that's still pretty early on, though. But she, all the all of her gizmos all, and accessories, as as uh, Marlon Brando once said in the uh, terrible film Last Tango in Paris. Um, Another you know, problematic. Movie. Know, uh, all your little goodies, you know. <laughs> the you've, one now good you've scene seen in that. that movie. Yes, it's not. It. It's not good. Uh, it feels like this sounds like a strange thing to say, but I had just seen uh, "Call Me by Your Name" around that time when it had come out. When I first saw that, this is our first and, time we see Tippy's face, and that's almost like. Also, I'll get back to the "Call Me by Your Name" thing in a minute because I know you're really dying to hear about it. Um, that's almost also like an opposite of Psycho, where she's wearing she's wearing the white bra. Then she wears the black bra. It's like the opposite of, oh, she's becoming blonde-headed, and and she was black-headed, you know, brunette, whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, uh, anyway, Your Honor, uh, so, you know, it's seen Call By Your Name for, it was like early 2018, Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, um, uh, and then just after that, I had seen that movie for the first time, uh, Last Time in Paris. And it felt like it was kind of its version of that for the time. Yeah. Uh, except far more shocking because, really, I mean, as great as it is, I mean, there's not a whole lot that's blatantly shocking about Call Me By Your Name for, like, modern, yeah. you know, sensibilities. Yeah. Um, other than the fact that it was, of course, you know, controversial that, oh, he is technically an underage, like, 17, and that was kind of weird, you know, yeah. whatever. And what's even weirder about that now is after the fact about the Army Hammer stuff. Mm-hmm. But the, it felt like it was kind of a version of that, yeah. but just not good, you know? So, anyway, that's what I thought about at the time. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's just not good. I mean, it's not even all the sexual stuff, which is awful in it, but, uh, you know, it's just not a good movie. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, you know, which is interesting because we had seen... Uh, the other Bertolucci movie, uh, The Conformist, which we quite like. Yeah, that's really um, good. And I, I really thought it's that usually was usually held good, up so. as his best film. Yeah, anyways, so, yeah. and I want to see other movies of his, like 1900 and The Last Emperor and other yeah. stuff, but... Uh, well, yeah. I guess she got away with it. I guess it's yeah. all wrapped up already, huh? Well. I mean, The Conformist did have the, uh, the guy that was... Uh, the Black Hand, uh, Fanucci. Oh, and, right, uh, right. I always that. remember how yeah. fake these uh, yeah. sequences look I mean, on the horse. Uh, Romani. Romani, Romani, Romani. That's I always remember about, this image yeah, of this tree too. is really weird. Like, you know, lives like right next to the docks. Like, yeah. okay. But, you know, there's a lot of 
rear screen projection in Hitchcock movies, and it does add. It depends on the movie and the narrative, but to that dreamlike, surrealist yeah. quality of his, you know, like especially a movie like Vertigo, like. He loves having children sing in movies. Right? Yeah. For me. That figures. Scum. I love that hair she's got. Yeah. It's like a, like a hive or something. <laughs> like, okay, that's more of a southern accent yeah. than what Connery's going for. Obviously, color red plays a very prominent mm-hmm. role in this film as a trigger. Go get the dressing for the turkey. Like. We've talked about before because we've done a lot of Universal movies, but the subtitles are always oriented to where the character is in yeah. the movie, which is actually very interesting. And we'd be, I would imagine, a little more time consuming than traditional Yeah, because they used to uh, do that uh, on a lot of the uh, Universal yeah. monster movies. Is the first time I ever saw them do that. Well, that actually easier. does help you if you really do genuinely need it. Like, oh, who is speaking? Right, like, yeah. You know, no, it really is from. a good thing. And especially if you've got multiple people talking over right. each other, you could do it. I don't ever see him do that necessarily, but... Yeah. I see that you've lighted up your hair, Marnie. Why, Miss Lucky? No. Just be up front about it. Mama. Track the man. Man. There was that one Bertolucci movie I know that uh, Michael Pitt was in. Uh, it was like one of them newer ones, and it was like one of them movies you can tell, so, ooh, old man trying to still get his freak on. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me look. We don't talk smart about the Bible in this house, Missy. Missy. The Dreamers, mm-hmm. yeah, with uh, Michael Pitt, Eva Green, and uh, Louis Garrel. Okay. About the '68 student rights in Paris. Mm-hmm. My daughter. My daughter said. <laughs> so we're gonna do this whole movie is like command the string way so like, you know <laughs> he's little My leg. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're not wanted here. 
Get away from me. Away from me. No, oh, but then she lets her sit on her leg. Yeah, I thought I had heard this. I was just looking. It says, um, making up a documentary for the DVD release, unit manager Hilton A. Green explains that the shooting was set to begin on November 25th, 1963 in California. Had to be postponed during the nation was in mourning of JFK, mm -hmm. who had been assassinated three days before. So that, that was literally happening right before this started. Yeah. It's six oh five, it's Right, they're saying the same thing, but they're finding a way to argue about it. Well, obviously, the mama <clears throat> thinks Marnie's a, you know, a little too fresh, a little too out there, I guess. As Genesis said, Mama, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be seeing them in a few weeks, by the way. Yeah. Two weeks from this day, we're recording. We'll uh, have an update on that eventually. Yeah, we'll talk I guess about so, our yeah. experience. As long as it don't get canceled or something happened, you know, you never know nowadays. Especially with Phil Collins' health, so. Right. Yeah, because he's not playing drums on mm -hmm. the right, you know. The combo of drums and vocals has always been strange to me to think about. Because, I don't know, I always... I guess because most, most front men are guitars and guitarists, and so they. Uh, well, that was what's always to. been kind of strange about Paul McCartney playing bass and singing. Right. You know, yeah. it's just I mean, literally, you could play any position and right. sing. Yeah, that don't really right. matter. Yeah, but, but it's yeah. just what you normally see. Most part of that goes back to Phil Collins started on drums and then made his way into singing right. after Peter Gabriel left. But anyway, this isn't a Genesis podcast right now. <laughs> Joseph Cotton, one of them. The Reverend Doctor. Yep, the Reverend Doctor himself. <laughs> In this house, we respect Joseph Cotton as the Reverend Doctor. Now, obviously, we're going to see as this goes on that we're already seeing that Marnie has this very... Uh, pronounced sense of arrested development that she still feels like a child in many ways robbed of her childhood and yeah. though she's progressed into being a woman she's still emotionally very vulnerable person I never I love she's not even saying, no, I do. She's like, yeah, well, you've got yeah, it right. right. Right, She's not protesting. Yeah. What do you think they are? Things that aren't decent? Is that it? Well, you think I'm Mr. Pendleton's girl. Is that why you don't want me to touch you? Is that how you think I get the money to set you up? Whoa. You knew that was going to happen. 
She's gonna pull a hole like, uh, get out of here. I need to, I need to go sleep over yonder. I need to finish up pecan pie. She looks like uh, Jimmy Carter kind of too. <laughs> I mean, my daddy was a nut farmer. <laughs> need to come pick him up for the harvest. The nut harvest. Bring, bringing in the sheaves. <laughs> Anyway, there's a TV over. Yeah. Wonder what's been watched on it. Many honeymooners. Oh, Ralph. Oh, Ralph. Money's got some problems. I don't want to even know. Why did he wake up? Marnie? 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 Lazy old dream. I done told you. You think about it, like, so far, what is the plot? It's just like, okay, she stole money and she's over here with, with her crazy mama. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nothing else. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just like yeah. it's not moving forward in any real way. And because yeah. again, a lot of Hitchcock movies are like this, and this, and this, and yeah. this. Like this is where you're starting to see a little bit of a slowdown of that. What I really love on these, uh, a lot of these Blu-rays of these older films, especially Universal, actually does this more so than some other studios. Is level of grain they sometimes leave on it. It's, yeah, you know. Crash kills 118. Wow. <laughs> like, okay. Mm-hmm. Then Kennedy's doing something. Well, not anymore. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Probably what they plan for. Mm-hmm. Rutland and Company. Already changed the hair again. Yep. Yeah, it's funny because she was like, you lighten up your hair. It's like, what's her hair look like normally? Yeah. (laughs) What what is the normal? What is she? I mean. Uh, James Bond. (laughs) It's you. It's Clibben. Clibben. Little Clibben. (laughs) Hey there, Clibben. Clibben sounds like, like some like second or third rate thug in an action movie that like betrayed somebody and it's like Clayburn like, yeah. like Craven yeah. like <laughs> Edge of Darkness really Which I haven't known. even seen but Just I guess we gotta in, do yeah. it. Like, I guess we gotta interview you for a job or whatever. And then he's gonna say yeah to it because he's. Uh, I'm curious. Because he's sick. He's way sicker than her, by mm-hmm. the way. That's a really great shot of like her in front of the safe and then moving like yeah. all, all she wants is the safe. Well, Mr. Ward, I have good training, but I've had very little actual 
real job. After I finished school, I was married. My husband was a CPA, and he helped me keep up with my training. I learned a great deal more from him. Accounting, cost price, even something about computers. I see. When my husband died, Larry suddenly lost me a young girl, but he left me a little money, but I felt I needed work. Good, hard, demanding work. I got the job at Kendall's, but it was... Well, it wasn't a very exacting position, and there didn't seem much immediate chance for anything else at Kendall's. Very interesting that most of this scene is shot with looking at Connery as mm -hmm. watching her. This is almost a subjective first point, you know, first person shot of her yeah. from his perspective. Might as well. <laughs> like, Malls. If you find the time, like. Miss <laughs> Clevin. Yeah, we, I mean, we might have mentioned this on this pod before. I don't know, but like, there's a restaurant in Wilmington called yeah. Might as Well or Malls. Can you think of a worse name for a restaurant than Might as Well? Like, well, the other ones are the, flooded the passing, or burning. The passing parade. Like, <laughs> might as well go here. Operation I guess. Grand Slam. Operation Grand Slam. What a gold from that. She's like, who's the dish? <laughs> I'm a total beggar. Like, I believe she's found the work exactly. Miss Clavin, I hope y'all think this is as funny I mean, as we do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you're coming to this podcast if you don't. Yeah, like, if you're at this made point, this far, then W4s. If you're made this far, you're in a might as well kind of mood. Washing the keys. Casing the joint. A lot of mysterious deaths so far, you know. Yeah. Only twenty nine. That's. Oh, that's who that is. The that actress Diane Baker. She was uh, in the Silence of the Lambs as like the senator mother of that girl that gets kidnapped in the movie. Oh, okay. Thought she looked familiar. That's good. Nearly thirty years after this, I guess. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, if it was like twenty years later, it's yeah. like what? Like, long con. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
It is 1984. The stock market is like, a Burt Lancaster is president. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what their assumptions would be. I love I just left it as the stock market is and then just yeah. the it, secret formula it like <laughs> if you watch Spongebob yeah. and if you haven't uh, why I, I think I've, I'm, I've I think I've told you this before the, the first time I ever saw that episode I remember yeah. it was our Aunt Sarah's house just in the middle of the day and it got to the end of that episode the Krabby Patty secret formula is and then it immediately ends and I remember think, being so mad thinking that the cable messed up or something yeah didn't it was me. like uh, the Soprano yeah. was only Why don't you go get one? Just leave me alone. That con. that red again so what would happen if she saw the movie red red or red are you hooked find out the way he talks to people is just like insane find out get on that and let me know What if I did that at school in the middle of teaching? Mm-hmm. I accidentally spilled some water on my pants. I just like ran out real quick, and everybody's like, "What?" Like, <laughs> there's a lot of water that gets spilled in my room, by the way. Yeah, mine too. If any of my students ever listen to this, which you know, whatever, just know I'm talking about you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Made it a rule where they have to keep them up on my file cabinet now. So mm-hmm. that's what it's come to. Like, I'm sure that happens to you too. Mm-hmm. Like they work to do it sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I don't know, whatever. Hey, what an idiot. Are available. Are available. Yeah. Like. She's looking at him like, yeah, can you believe this guy? Like, <laughs> All the random numbers we're asked to remember in life. I was like, that, you know, that one one more wouldn't be that big a deal. Especially you're doing it every day. Yeah. You're happening it every day and you can't remember? Like, I would think that would be an easy one, yeah. yeah. interesting that he's basically just setting her up yeah. he's just like I want you to steal it like, yeah 
I'm hungry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just like waiting like a sicko. Like, yeah. Oh like, yeah, I'm gonna wait too. Like, just... I can play a long game <laughs> with Commander Strangways. With Grand Slam. With Grand Slam. Slam. <laughs> My slam out. Rock with your slam out. <laughs> <laughs> Are you interested in pre-Columbian art? She's dead. She's dead. She's dead. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, roar, roar. What did you train her to do? To trust. Is that all? Well, that's a great deal. Jack Ramsey. What? Should we get to work? Should we get to work? Need you to work. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be the whole movie now. Just an impression. Oh, he's a southerner though. Don't yeah, forget. that's why we can do it. So like, he's just so this is like in Philadelphia, right? I think so. That's what it says on the safe. Okay. And then she said she her Pittsburgh connections or something earlier. Uh, her Pittsburgh connections. Yeah. yeah. But so like, it's set in Philadelphia. He's a southerner. Who Isn't has she a from Scottish the south accent. too? Though I guess. Well, her mama is, anyways. Instinctual behavior. Is this all really just a parable about don't leave the South or things, bad things well, happen? That's what I would agree with. <laughs> Southern man. <laughs> Bull whips cracking. <laughs> criminal class. Says her mother uh, is in Baltimore. Okay. And this is in Philadelphia. So. Thunder Flash. Do you not like it? Like. <laughs> if you'd like. I <laughs> wish <laughs> you throw her hands yeah, up. Like. <laughs> and just like. What a sicko that he's like watching all this yeah. and not really doing anything about it. I think I had read um, the chapter of the Hitchcock Truffaut book on this, on Marnie. Yeah. And talked about in the original novel that there were like scenes between her and a therapist or a psychiatrist. And that a lot of that stuff got transferred onto Connery's character, how he, you know, tries to psychoanalyze her and figure her out. That some of that was already there, but some of that was also stuff done in some therapy scenes. Right. And it condensed it into just being him. Which is kind of more interesting in a way. Than, yeah. yeah. What colors? Like, what? I love he just acts like that's not that oh, big of a deal. Oh, whatever, yeah. Yeah, like, Wow. I mean, it's, you know, I, you'd want to worry about the woman freaking out in your room, but also, by the way, a tree limb fell through your window, so, you know. Did it knock maybe, over that stuff yeah. in his wife's and too, by the way? And like, whatever. Well, you're going to be my new honey money. Like, she's dead. She's the dead. The stuff of hers I've kept. I've kept under wraps. <laughs> with strangways. <laughs> what is it? He says, oh, uh, the guy who, uh... And uh, you only live twice. Dies of the piranhas. Like, bon appetit. Bon appetit. Or the, or <laughs> yeah. the or is it not piranhas? No, but, yeah, that's sharks, what it is. Or, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Bon piranhas are very hungry. Yeah. Right. yeah uh, it's bad we never got um. 
I bet Sid Telly Savalas would be funny. But, uh, uh, Guy, guy played Blofeld. Uh, Donald Pleasant. Donald Pleasant. Well, Telly Voss also did play Blofeld. But, yeah. They were saying never in a Hitchcock yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Duke. <laughs> bon appetit. <laughs> I love you. Repeat it, please, to make sure you get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> we quote this stuff all the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, way. so, yeah, like... That's such a Bond moment, you know? <laughs> well, got to go sometime. Let me ride you home. I mean, drive you home. Go get your things. Get your things now. You're fired. <laughs> what a weird line. What a weirdo. <laughs> I must get the maintenance people in. Wow, he's just staring at her the whole time. Yeah, because what's so weird about all this so far is like, okay, so he knows she's a thief. We know that. Mm -hmm. But, like, how would he know that there's anything else wrong with her? Right. You know, it's just like... Making a huge leap. Right. It's like... He sees her for who she really is. Oh, criminals are insane. Like, or something like like me. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna go with you. Atlantic City tracks open till end of the month. We can drive up there next Saturday. Next Saturday. Saturday. Are you fond of horses? No, not at all. No. I just want to make money off them. I'm just a freak. I'm just a freak leak. This guy. Mm hmm. He's watching. 60s man. He watches so that others do not yeah. see. I mean, 60s spy watching. I mean, other literally, 60s spy. if you saw a man with a doing that yeah. with like a newspaper, like, wouldn't you think that's strange? Yeah. Like, you would think he would have had like actual binoculars and acting like he was looking at the track. Right, not like a newspaper. Because there was it. another guy behind him that had it. Yeah. I mean, they're sitting even closer, and they're using what? Uh, binoculars. Do they have Grand Slam? <laughs> you need to bet on Grand Slam. Like, a Grand Slam breakfast. Poached eggs. Paul Rubens looking guy. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said, aren't you Peggy Nicholson? No, I'm not. Yeah. I was pretty sure you were, you know, when I first saw you down here. No, I'm sorry. You've made a mistake. I am not Miss Nichols. Nicholson. Nicholson. Frank Abernathy introduced us a couple years ago in Detroit. Frank Abernathy. You remember Frank. She's doing a good job of just being like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know anyone named Frank Abernathy. Now, will you please go? Oh, come on now, honey. You're trying to pull my leg, aren't you? Now, why should any young lady want to pull your leg? Oh, sorry. I, I thought I recognized this lady. Did you recognize her? No. You did not recognize her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, good for you. You apologize nicely. You may go now. <laughs> you what? did not recognize her. Like it's, like it's a daggum Jedi mind trick or uh, something. Uh, who's your, uh, your fan? 
for a second. I thought she said the subtitle said, uh, I guess I have one of those feces. <laughs> <laughs> that we'll have to get a stool sample made out. <laughs> wow, that look how big that cigar looks. Well, it's not like super thick, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. Mutel Windows? Is that Mutual, I guess that's supposed to be, but with an E? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's all a bunch of BS anyway. Telepathy. Yeah, number eight. Yeah. <laughs> the Red. Oh my gosh. What's the matter now? Hill. What's he building in there? <laughs> what if we take the Tom Waits Immortal Classic What's He Building in there yeah. and have Sean Connery recitation? Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't believe what well, this is. First off, saw. there's one big obstacle that's in our way of that Sean Connery being alive. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of a big one, but yeah. I think we can find a way around yeah, it. Yeah, but like, I mean, you wouldn't believe what Mr. Stitches saw. <laughs> <laughs> Enough formaldehyde to choke a horse. Did you have a tough childhood, Already the psychoanalysis has begun. Had an ex wife from lives in Maya's Income, Tennessee. Which had a consulting business in Indonesia. Anyway. What about your tough childhood, Mr. Rutland? Oh, the old sad story. Promising youth blighted. Blighted. And by no bus oblige, I extend this to you. Employees about to go down yeah. to the count like it's a boxing match. Eris. Traditionally has one earache every year. <laughs> Your wall I'd reject. <laughs> Looks like you screwed up. Why? I want to know. Why did you screw me? Two more Saturdays. I will blackmail you. <laughs> Wait until you see my game. You really are pressing your knuckle, boy. I will bully yeah, why does he keep coming on and on? It's just like, give up. Yeah. I will sock you. I've got a sock with a rock in it. <laughs> I'm just swinging around the room. By the way, I don't know if people think that we're doing a good job I mean, I, on impressing. I, I think we are, yeah. but whatever. You know. I'll be the judge of the listeners. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like Sean Connery's voice is so iconic, everybody does a version of it. Yeah. We can do one of it. Yeah, because we do more of this era than, like, his, like, on my shelf. Like, yeah. later, like, older version, but version. Well, I've only ever been to one App State football game, but oh, you know, right before yeah. the uh, uh, team runs out, they have the clip of him from The Rock, the Michael Bay movie with Nick Cage, where he's like, welcome to The Rock. And yeah. then like, they run out, because that's the nickname of the stadium. Meanwhile, Alfred. Yeah. Alan Napier. <laughs> Look at that dress. Just like lounging about. Mary Taylor. Mary, this is my father. How do you do, Mr. Rutland? 
Okay, whatever that means. I mean, he's probably a sicko too, so. Mm -hmm. Sickoness is hereditary, as it turns out. As the film Hereditary told us. Little Mano Ray, like. Everything's got to be a game here. It's interesting, Lil has a Jackie Kennedy quality. Yeah. I guess her hair looks kind of like her darker hair, but... What's your opinion, Miss Taylor? You think old Mark here is a sneaky one? Possibly. How do you take your and she clearly has a thing for him. Like yeah. Her own brother-in-law. Butter cake, please. Butter cake. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> This looks kind of like that uh, room in uh, North by Northwest. He didn't steal Laura's Mercedes. He didn't steal Laura's Mercedes. I wonder if Hitchcock saw in Connery like, oh, this could be Cary Grant 2.0, like in terms of like younger. Now, of course, he, I, I like Connery, but Cary Grant's a generational talent in terms of yeah. he can do about anything, comedy, drama, whatever. Connery's not nearly that well good of an actor compared to yeah. him, but but as far as like, oh, clearly British or of the British Isles here in America, yeah. actor. We will walk amongst the tombstones. We'll walk amongst. The gentries, gentrified horses, like. <laughs> you ever listen to some older music like this, like Bernard Herrmann's music, and just kind of want to laugh? <laughs> just at the like the swells of it. Sometimes yeah. it's just like, all right. Well, yeah, a lot of this kind of particular Hitchcock fifties period, along with Bernard Herrmann's music. In the sixties, but fifties and the sixties is, you know, I don't, I don't sometimes myself situate it enough in comparison to the fifties melodramas in terms yeah. of the, it's like more genre esque melodrama of that time. Yeah. Obviously, Douglas Sirk is the most iconic kind of a the, the melodrama of that era, but yeah. um, that music adds this kind of larger than life, approaching camp quality at times. You know, yeah. that is indicative of a lot of melodrama. This is a shot that I've always really yeah. remembered and stuck with me. Kind of reminds me of, uh, talk about a rip-off artist, you know, Brian De Palma. Oh, really? There's that moment in Blowout where 
that woman is in that uh, stall and uh, or no, I guess it, I don't remember if it was a woman or a man. I think it was a woman. Well, it's and, hard to remember sometimes. Well, it is. yeah, but uh, that and that's that scene where John Lithgow chokes him with a garrote, mm-hmm. and it's like you know he's probably like, oh, I'll do that scene and do it like in Marnie that one shot or whatever. So, Are you saying that Brian De Palma has ripped off Alfred Hitchcock? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, let me just say this. I've actually, De Palma's movies have grown on me a little bit as I've seen more yeah. of them and I've gotten a little older. I still don't totally love him, but I do respect him more than I used to, I'll say. But I do say I will say this. I think the elevation of him as an auteur is part of a larger diminishing returns of the culture in many ways. Is that you know Hitchcock movies were once seen as kind of these uh, vile, crass, pulpy movies for entertainment's sake. With oh, then they got elevated to artistic status that many of them deserve to be at. Yeah. But then it was all about oh, what's the next wave of like somebody who is taking from or ripping him off. And then, for many, that has since been elevated. And yeah. like, it's just, again, it is a lowering of the standards in some ways, I think, in terms of quality. But, yeah. But again, hit, uh, De Palma, he, did, he has made some good things. I mean, Blowout, I think, is particularly good. Yeah, I have one of those about once a day. <laughs> Usually. A blowout? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, I'll leave it open. I want them to catch me. Oh, my God. This is a perfect Hitchcock moment of like, oh, you see the gun under the table, but nobody else does. And it's like we we see that something both these characters can't see and the tension that builds in that. The master suspense. Her Marnie sense is tingling. She's gonna get away. Dead quiet of all this. Again, for all the association with the Bernard Herman score, I mean, it seems like this is playing with no sound or no music. Well, notably, you know, there was a large uh, sound design for a movie like uh, The Birds. Right. But at the same time, uh, it had no music. Yeah. You know, so that notably. And I think it's interesting he followed that decision up after the bird, after Psycho to do the birds like that. Is yeah, that movie was so iconic thanks to Bernard Herrmann's score. Mm-hmm. Know, but that guy, yeah, he's in uh, some uh, Cassavetes movies. Uh, 
Roll Raider. Rupert Cross is that guy's name. Yeah, he was in Shadows, Too Late Blues. Oh, and Ride in the Whirlwind. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, Gore all adaptation, uh, The Best Man. Mm-hmm. Your boy. Gore all Mm-hmm. Yeah, relatively, I guess. No, I was reading, back. I didn't know this, uh, that he was I, one of the biggest reasons why I don't think uh, uh, Gravity's Rainbow didn't win its, like, uh, yeah. what was it, uh, what was it nominated for? The National Book Na- Award. I think it won the National Book no, Award. No, no, it was the, another uh, one. Was it the Pulitzer Prize? The Pulitzer, maybe. Why? That he found it to be an obscene, immoral book or something like that. Gore Vidal yeah. found that to be exactly. obscene, Exactly, that's what I was shocked by. Yeah, it was Pulitzer Prize for fiction. So I was reading the introduction to that. Gravity's Rainbow yeah. commentary and, and brought that up and I looked about it Meanwhile. Elsewhere. Oh, by the way. At last we communicate. Where's the money? <laughs> Perry Mutual Window. Your kid brother. Bulging. Yeah, and it's interesting that this movie, you know, you think that most of the movie would be concerned with her doing these things, but then it becomes about this whole other sick blackmail game. Mm-hmm. Like the unopened package. All right. Where is Strangways? People remember this episode of uh, Overlapping Dialogue. It's just like they just they just did impressions of Connery the whole time. I mean, like, how can you not? <laughs> Insurance. Mrs. Taylor, she died. Oh, Mrs. Taylor died. Pity. Pity. Now you're working with this naughty cousin Jesse. Jesse. Nobody's working with me. Naughty cousin Jesse. Some kind of regular thing I do. Might be cousin. Oh. Sean Connery never in Star Wars. Never in Strangways. Yeah, famously, like uh, he was offered the role of Gandalf and turned yeah. it down in Lord of the Rings. Uh. And felt like, oh, I missed out. I need to keep up with the times. And then was offered, uh, was it the old, was it old Sherlock Holmes or the old whoever in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Oh, I think he was he uh, the guy, the like main character of King Solomon's Mind. Oh, I maybe think. that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. And then that movie flopped and was off on it. All right, I'm done. <laughs> Retired. Yeah. Come on, get up. Me is that? You're a practiced little liar, or something a minute ago, old girl. How did you get the combination to Watson? I took Susan's key from her purse. I see. I see. But suppose you just begin at the beginning. 
just like I told you. I was born in Richmond. We were poor. We were grindingly poor. And I was so horribly alone after Mother died. We'll go on. You still have my attention. <laughs> so he's still lying. She's yeah. still lying about her that. Love to watch her strut, watch him strut. No, I didn't know. I'm lying. I'm a sicko. I think it'd be interesting to keep you around. Got sloppy. All right. Get on. <laughs> Get on. Now, what is the degree? Are you a compulsive thief, a pathological liar? Oh, what difference does it make? Some. Make some. But again, you know, a normal person would have, I guess, reported her to the police at this point. A normal person it, wouldn't have hired her. Well, they would have well, reported to the police at the beginning. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah. But I'm just saying. But it's all about these mind games he's wanting to play and like. Him getting off on like, ooh, I caught this woman and she's under my possession now. Walking around the yeah. car like a sicko, like scream in the nineties, like Henry Winkler esque older man role, like yeah, oh it's Ghostface, like yeah. <laughs> Let's see if we can turn this Ghostface into a few facts. <laughs> see if we can turn this Ghostface business into a few facts. Maybe he could have been like Jamie Kennedy's living grandfather or something. They had some scene. Yeah. <laughs> God, like. Ugh. 
Now I can't help but think of '60s and Howard Johnson, and not think of uh, you know faraway places from Mad Men. I'm so terrible making you eat ice cream. <laughs> There are some inconsistencies in your story. Like every everything that you said. No. I'd want them to find me. I like the game. Time to play the game. I'm a bit of what you would call a gamester. <laughs> a spinster. A gangster. Gangster. Wankster. Gangster. <laughs> Gangstar Royco. <laughs> now him is Logan Roy. Mm. Have we talked about our opinions of succession on here yet? Yeah, we did at some point on okay. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not not in love with it, but you know. We're watching it. We've got it under control. Okay. Yeah, and we're not really watching much any other new things on T V right now. Even Billions, which we quite liked. Oh, that's been airing new episodes, yeah. and we've not caught up on that. So. That's part of this sick relationship is that uh, he sees her unconsciously before he even knows a lot about her as the father that she never had, I think, or yeah. something. Oh, i got to take care of you, old girl. Anything else you did? Like, yeah. <laughs> what a freak. No. bad that it's like Tippy Hendren I feel like was in safer hands with Dagum like hordes of birds were attacking her yeah. than dealing with this fruitcake like you're fresh you're fresh enough get up giddy up <laughs> what old Rod Taylor was up to around this time yeah, yeah. glass bottom boat era like. yeah <laughs> Never. Never. That is. Never. Not until. Yes. Why me? 
Uh, why me? It won't wash. Forty-four wash. But don't try to make it sound like any more than that. Ham is uh Frank Costello. Oh gosh. Watch your blinking mouth, right? <laughs> With his uh, undercarriage positioned in that in that way, Wickwin. Yeah. Go to Wickwin. <laughs> wow. Wholesome animal lust. <laughs> we had some of these moments filmed yeah. on a phone at one point, and just laugh out how, how ridiculous they were. But... He's willing to admit it, maybe. Hmm. I guess I'm just going calling you mom, and that's easily explained. Pet name. But the Taylor. But the Taylor. Rod Taylor. Matter you off this Mary Taylor. It's perfectly legal. You can sign yourself. Minnie Q Mouse on a marriage license. What? <laughs> <laughs> Minnie Q Mouse. I'm Minnie Q Thief. I'm, I'm a thief and a liar. So is that like Minnie Mouse's middle initials Q? I don't know. As in Quartermaster? Like, um, yeah. Minnie Quartermaster Mouse. to me, Mark. I am not like other people. I know what I am. I doubt that you do, Mark. In any event, we'll just have to deal with whatever it is that you are. Whatever you are, I love you. Whatever you are, I love you. It's horrible, I know. But I do love you. You don't love me. I'm just something you caught. You think I'm some kind of animal you've trapped. Trapped. That's right, you are. I've caught something really wild this time, haven't I? Wow. <laughs> and caught you, and by God, I'm going to keep you. Oh, and Marty, when we get this is not healthy at all. But the Wickwind Silver. The Wickwind Silver. You'll get from yourself for one short week, and after that, well, you can take legal possession. Like you? Like you take legal possession? Yes. Yeah. Well, if you want to put it there, he's <laughs> <laughs> got to take on the responsibility of you, Marty. It narrows down to a choice of me or the police old girl. Old oh, girl. Wow. You really thought about how this movie came out like 1964? <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. Indispensable. It was a different time, you know? Old necessaries reminds me of our, uh, our Uncle Arnold. You yeah. always say, I feel so necessary. He would sing it. Yeah. Very handy fellow. Meanwhile, sister-in-law kissing him on the mouth. Very handy fellow. <laughs> noble savage. What? A noble savage? I don't think so. I think I'm out on this guy. Yeah. You know? I think he's canceled. Just sitting there at the bank and safety department. 
He said he wanted her to have something that had never belonged to anyone else. Six and a half carats. And cashing in a bond with paper. This guy. But he didn't pay for it. Yeah. He charged it. I helped him pick it out. It cost $42,000. Plus Dang. tax. And that's in 63, 64 money. You want to do the inflation calculator yep. on this? He came out to the club waving a check for $7,000 and insisted that I break up my golf game, go in and open the bank. Break up my golf game. You've broken up my golf game, old boy. That's uh, three hundred seventy-one thousand dollars for a ring. Yeah, three hundred seventy-one thousand dollars, six hundred forty, or three hundred seventy-one six hundred forty-five dollars and eighty-one cent. Dang. Rate of inflation seven hundred eighty-four point nine percent. This is also reminiscent to me of Vertigo of, uh, oh gosh, what's his, you know, friend that has a crush on him in that movie? Uh, what's her name? Oh, Midge. Midge. Yeah. And like this secret, well not so secret, love she has of Stewart's character and it's off to the side yeah. and it's kind of forgotten about thing and this character kind of represents the third wheel that she wanted to clearly be with Mark but that she's been sidelined mm -hmm. and all this. Now she's going to be certainly way more devious than who she is than who Midge was, but how's your love life, Midge? <laughs> how's your love life, old girl? Little girl, sassy girl, aren't you? Like, all right, that's <laughs> enough. <laughs> She's looking around. Like, I will instill. I've become the Joker. I will become Marnie. Yeah, like <laughs> what? Let me just make that easy, a little checklist. Pay off strut. Love to watch. <laughs> Ooh, stationary. Oh, she literally wrote stationary on it. Yeah. Strut. She's going to play a little detective game. I love games. I love a good game. I love watching the game. <laughs> Food? Shall I uh, fix you a drink? Where's the bathroom? Same here. The water closet. You'd have a good weekend in Vegas with all this stuff. Not. The real field of battle is the bath. The bath. The quarter given. The quarter. I need a quarter. Need a quarter for the uh, what you call the uh, shopping carts at Aldi. <laughs> <laughs> you can have the bag now. Thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, wow. No, no, we're done here. Yeah, he's. Uh... All right, we're gonna cancel the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> pod, know, one of my favorite things ever is very the, famously the for the canceled. Batman and Robin commentary is that Joel Schumacher like a third or halfway through the movie just got up and walked out and like apologized for having made the movie or and whatnot then, and then just left. And then it's just the movie yeah, the rest then, of the time. Yeah. That background sound just cuts out and it's just the movie, I think. Oh, so. Wow. <laughs> Which says we've talked about it in depth between us uh, that Batman Robin's not good but the chief fault of that movie shouldn't lay just at Joel Schumacher's no. studio. I mean, I won't touch it. I promise I won't. <laughs> stand my favorite king novel is the stand the stand, stand. Salem's lot <laughs> shining the shining the sh shining yeah I was say it's gotta be <laughs> yeah. the double yeah. sh sh I What's your favorite Dead Man's Bones uh, song? I'm talking about Dead Man's Bones. Uh, pop, pop power. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, men. Six feet deep. <laughs> I don't listen to any Dead Man's Bones in a while. Well, that was only the one album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. He's trying to phrase this as "I am saving you." Like, yeah. no, not really. So I love Some other saying, sexual saying, "Oh, I am. I admit I, it. I am a sexual blackmailer." But, but they wouldn't have been as good of a sexual blackmailer as I would. Take it out in her cold, hard flesh. Is that guy in Psycho? That guy. Well. Let's try it again. Richard. I'll be kind to you and you'll be polite to me. 
Well, he's a liar, so... Yeah, somebody is lying here, and it's you. It's me. I will read Jack Reed. <laughs> Ten days that shook the world. <laughs> the little pizzazz. Pizzazz, whatever the hell. <laughs> it's like they're talking about the most boring stuff possible. Yeah. Like. Animals oh, of the seashore. Yeah, yeah I had shot, a picture yeah. of that, I think. <laughs> Just like the randomness of that. <laughs> uh. That's his reading material. Mm-hmm. I remember the last time we watched this was randomly around the Oscar season of 2017. It was like early 2018. Okay. What? <laughs> Psychopath. Boning up on marine life. Entomology. Uh, it's one of the most infamous scenes in the movie. Yeah. I told you the light from the sitting room bothers me. On many. Well, we certainly can't have anything bothering you, can we? You don't want to go to bed. Please get out. But I do want to go to bed, Mom. I very much want to go to bed. No! No, oh, I went too far this time. As opposed to every other moment. Um, as opposed to every other moment of my godforsaken life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the, you know, the uh, premier uh, example of a sexual harassing psychopath. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Like, no, yeah, and you usually clearly, it is like you a clearly did. moment of intimacy. Is yeah. Just like, yeah. Just meanwhile, she's just not into it at all. Yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, no, I'm not doing that. The music swells, like, as Ron Williams would say, the subtext is love, like. How do they do that? I don't know. Like Dracula or something. Mm-hmm. 
Dragon you said that that I think was kind of an inspiration for that moment of the devil's eyes and Rosemary's baby. Mm-hmm. Have you have you seen that? No, I still have not okay. seen. Rosemary's baby. I wasn't all that into it, but I might like it better now. I've been meaning to watch it forever. Haven't got around to it yet. It's been a long time since I saw it. That hairy chest. Don Draper's large chest. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't fought Harkonnens, I have. They are brutal! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, look at that. One thing that's always struck me... You can tell that's literally a painting. Look at that. Hilarious. Look at that. That oh this my little God. section is that you just see no one else at all. Yeah, it's it's like, like these two are the only ones on this boat and yeah. adds to this again surrealistic dreamlike quality to it. There's something to me it's always like about cruise ships and that I've always thought about ever since these scenes that add this weird eerie dreamlike quality to them where mm-hmm. it's like through the water and the, again in movies oftentimes water is depicted as being a, a channel to dreams or dream life or this otherworldly mm-hmm. thing no attempt to commit suicide Have you ever seen a person jump into a pool with all their clothes on? In real life? Yeah. No. I have. It's a weird experience. Yeah. Seeing it to just see it. Even not to do it yourself, just to see it happen. Yeah. You're like, uh, I'll tell you later who it was. <laughs> it's somebody <laughs> that we know. We're not very fond of either, I must say. But But yeah, I said, I've never thought about that. It has like nobody around. Yeah. Even in that moment, she has a quip. Mm-hmm. So clearly, like... Marnie, and then goes over and hugs him. Or did she say Mark? Mark. Oh, okay, I thought she said Marnie. No, and then no. Him. no like, that would be even weirder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's like she said, Walter Winchell, and went and, lo- and hugged on somebody. <laughs> like, what? Like... At the airport. At the aeroplane. In the airplane over the sea. <laughs> Holland, 1945. With just a sister at her side. She stained the mountaintops. Only we speak for the guns. <laughs> or came and rained on everyone. Now she's a little boy in Spain playing pianos filled with flames. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, Jeff Mangum. You're probably yeah. pissed off about something somewhere. <laughs> Whatever. Don't let anybody ask him what neutral milk hotel means. Yeah. I just don't want to get into it. This is like, like you don't name please, something that like, ridiculous. Come on. Then, yeah. 
please. Yeah, specifically men yeah. in black. Like I have them talking about Jeff Mangum, like Jeff yeah. Magnum, like you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that really is a great moment where he's like, like literally, he's like, do it. And he's like, please, like, like cross I, me, yeah. I will blow you away. <laughs> <Right>. Like, <laughs> <laughs> got a vanity, got a vanity problem, babe. Like, that is breakfast. Let's go to breakfast. Naturally, I Naturally, I'm going to shut the door. Say, I thought he said, Naturally, I want you to bed with me. Like, okay. Well, I mean, that's already. what he's saying, but yeah. It's like he's teaching her how to be a wife because she just doesn't get it. I mean, mansplain. Operation mansplain. <laughs> Like it's a video game, and it's like optional like objectives. Like, yeah, and it's like an optional objective, like for bonus points. Yeah. Like, well, points that add up quickly. Aaron. My favorite character in Exodus is Aaron. Like <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Bob. What's her whole place in this movie again? She's just like watching her, like suspicious of her, and deep down wants to get with Mark. Obviously. Right, but I'm just like I felt like there's something going on specifically with her, but not that I remember. But fool. take a drive some men don't like to be taken for a ride <laughs> as he said one time mm-hmm. maybe in some ways though the the sister-in-law has this uh you know what's the woman in rebecca who's like the uh, yeah the live-in yeah because uh, i was kind of thinking about obsession and rebecca this kind of reminds me of too you know on that name because I can't quite remember. She's like the sister of the wife, right, that had died, I think. Uh, hold on a minute. Mrs. Danvers. No, I think she was just the housekeeper to her as well. Oh. She was just... Very close yeah, to her, yeah. yeah. Similar relationship. Got your little horsey. Horsey.
know you would love me. Like, no, I won't. Oh, well. Well, she likes him a little better. Well, I well I screwed up then, didn't I? Good fighter. Got to go get my fix. This <laughs> <laughs> fix is clearly morning, so. I'm a bit of a candy fiend. Got to go get my chocolate fix. <laughs> a little bit of smarties. My choco fix. Choco. <laughs> my choco doggo fix. <laughs> get, gotta go get my doggo fixed. <laughs> Spade and neutered. Like Bob Baca, who is still alive. That's it. He really used to just say that all the time. He used to say all the time, like, get your pet sprayed and neutered or whatever. Spayed and neutered, yeah. yeah. It's like, why would he say that? That's his big thing, I don't know. Why? Why is that your, like, chief issue? I mean, I'm not saying that's not, okay, yeah, everybody go get that done, but, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're on TV for years, that's your sticking point? Yeah. How irrelevant. Anyway, whatever. Well, he wasn't taking any kind of real big political or social stance uh, right. like you could, but you wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be encouraged on a channel like CBS anyways, but. You're being had. Little. Well, speaking of coming out, all right, <laughs> all right, we could run an ad. <laughs> that look was real, like, gonna get her. <laughs> Take a walk on the wild side. Bash, a grand slam. Bash at the beach. Do, do I smell? Do I smell bacon? <laughs> or is the grand slam ready? <laughs> I'm ready for the grand slam. <laughs> I'll take it upstairs. Hang it up as soon as I get it. As soon as I get got. This is among the drier stretches of the movie. It's like, yeah. they're domestic happenings. You yeah, know? <laughs> because that's what's interesting about this movie. Is it doesn't really have any big set pieces or like, yeah. you know. 
even not like other movies he would make after this yeah. that would like Torn Curtain has a big one and parts of Topaz, but mm-hmm. Topaz has that like vaguely Fidel Castro guy mm-hmm. in it, and it's like okay. I've only ever seen clips from that. I still never seen the whole movie. I remember liking it in theory a lot. Yeah. We ought to watch that soon yeah. because I haven't I seen still that in a while. I haven't seen Torn Curtain either, so yeah, that's the one with Paul Newman, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember a whole lot about that one. Uh, Paul Newman Julie and Julie Andrews, yeah. yeah. There's a scene in that I remember where he has to, it's not much of a spoiler to say, but there's a scene towards the end of the movie where he's basically going to get killed and he's in like a play or opera or something. And meanwhile, and uh, oh, he's finding out the information. But anyway, there's a scene in that where he's like basically surrounded on all sides at the exits by these guys that are gonna kill him, and he just shouts fire, and everybody gets up and runs out, and he like gets away or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, that thing you're not supposed to do, you know. But yeah, I mean, he's the hero of the movie. He's like breaking a spy, the law, so breaking the law, breaking the law. The law has been broken. I'm going to break your neck in five places. <laughs> <laughs> I am Bond. So, uh-oh. So, yeah, he kind of found out mm-hmm. sort of what happened. Well, we got a sort of one. But there's more more to discover, old girl. There's that red Aloha. Like, yeah. You know that means hello and goodbye. People say that all the time. It's like, we all know that. Meanwhile, he's playing these games, like... What a weirdo. Like, this guy is not a good person. Yeah. Look at that room. What is wrong with it? It looks yeah. sick. Yeah. Like, well, that part of the room, and then the rest of it looks normal. <laughs> oh, okay. So it was purposely like that. Money. No, don't. Mommy. Don't. Of course, she's in there. Mm-hmm. You know, like. What happened to Mama? Mama. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> Him singing Genesis songs. Some Mama. Like someday. <laughs> Dominion. There was no reply at all, Mommy. <laughs> the dodo must die. I wonder if there's like ever a, any like draft of this movie that was like, what, wow, s- sexual aberrations of the criminal female. Uh, and it's like, oh, instead of birds, it's horses. Well, it's like horses just are randomly yeah. like coming in and out and going to trample because a lot of random horse action in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Of course you can. yeah. What for? What for? You will tell me. You will tell me or not. <laughs> I suppose not. I suppose not. Is it about something that really happened to you? Happened to you? No, I 
I don't know what it means. What happened? Nothing. What happened? Well, it's about your mother. Uh, what happened? Yes, but first there are the three taps. Then she says, get up, Marnie, you have to get up now. But I don't want to if I... If I get up, I'll, I'll be cold and they'll hurt her. Who? Who hurt her? Them. I don't know, I don't know, but I hear the noises. I'm cold and I hear the noises. What noises? What are they like? Who makes them? What happened? Something's going on here. You, Floyd? Me, Jane? It should be said that uh, Freud existed, obviously, prior to this good little amount of time, but Freud was really in vogue in the 50s and 60s especially, and so much of Hitchcockian analysis is rooted in Freud because Hitchcock himself was apparently pretty interested in Freud. Yeah. Well, he was and a lot of that stuff addict, isn't as so. in vogue now anyways, Freud yeah. in psychology, but, yeah, so well. but it's imprinted in... Its influence is so big, though. Yeah, he was a lot a, of critical theory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, he was just a cocaine addict. So, mm -hmm. what does he have to say about anything? You know. Stop with the undiscovered self. Oh, for God's sake, Mark, leave me alone. I'm tired. Why can't you just leave me alone? Because I think you're sick, old dear. <laughs> old dear. Well, let's admit, she's got some problems, but he's hes beyond sick. Talk about dream world. You've got a pathological fix on a woman who's not only an admitted criminal, but who's... So supposedly Mike Lee came out and said that he's struggling to get uh, money for a new movie. Really? To get backed, you know, yeah. So, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. We've only really seen like one, I guess, Mike Lee movie, Naked, but quite good. So, yeah, he's somebody I definitely want to watch a lot more of. Yeah. Really dying to play doctor, aren't you? Okay, I'm a big movie fan. I know the games. Come on, let's play. Shall I start with dreams, or should we free associate? Oh, doctor, I'll bet you're just dying to free associates. So even the Marnie herself was mocking the ideas of uh, Freudian psychology or psychoanalysis. Yeah. It's kind of meta, but... And that I don't even remember Hitchcock and Truffaut in the interview book where they're going back and forth actually kind of talking a lot of these same terms, talking about the narratives. Yeah. Unfair, you want a fair. Sex. Masculine, feminine, 
Adam and Eve, Jack and Jill, I'll slap your filthy face if you come near me. Death? Me. Oh, listen, Mark. Needles. His. Black. White. Red. White. 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 That red. Red. <laughs> red. So he's been picking up on that, that red's the color. Yeah. Red. Are you well red? <laughs> red. Commander Strangways. Impregnable. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. And he's just looking at him like, okay. okay. Like, could easily get killed yeah, in that moment. Right. He's like, well, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I guess when you're James Bond, you have to be totally insane. Yeah. So you're yeah, just like, well. I already made my peace with God. Whatever. Or made the peace that I'm not going to make peace with God. Yeah. yeah, either one. Even well, in and of itself, that is making peace with God. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you just leave the door open? Yeah, I mean, they're just coming right in and out. Uh-oh. Mr. Robbed. I'm going to watch him strut. Mrs. Strutt? Yes. Mrs. Strutt? How do you do? I'm no man, Remark, sister-in-law. Good of you to come over this evening. So nice of you to ask. Wait till tomorrow, Charlie. Wait till you see our horse, eh? Oh, yeah, we haven't gotten all that yet, have we? No. Nope. You have no reason to be. No, oh, and you're just the best of everything, I guess. Huh? She has the list, made the table arrangements and everything. I'm afraid I wasn't much help, but I'll do better next time. You're doing well enough. I suppose we should keep uh, circulating. Circulating. Circulate. <laughs> Succubus. <laughs> Why? Why? I don't know. I swear I don't know. Lil must have screwed me. I've never been invited here. Remember on uh, Rugrats, Phil and Lil? Yeah. Phillian, <laughs> Lillian. <laughs> yeah. Cause bluff. Bluffing. Hello, strutting. No, not awkward at all. I believe we've met before. I don't think so. Think again, Mrs. Rutland. Are you just recently married? Palmani and I have been married for two months, but we've known each other quite well for about four years. Four years? Before Stella? Yes, didn't you know? Strangways. Strangways is stranded. Excuse me. The good girl. Man talk. Wow. Infinitesimal D. Like. 
about putting a silk hat on a pig like I know who you are. I don't know why I did his voice, and I guess I'm just getting used yeah. to talking in Connery's voice. <laughs> five minutes. I'm five minutes behind you, and in those five minutes, you got yourself up like a cat burglar and packed for a world cruise. That's, I love it cuts and this is what's happening. Yeah. She's like ready to go, like it's all over the place. Like throbbing away. Vengeful fantasy. Like that could be a account. subtitle for Hitchcock's career. Throbbing away with vengeful fantasies. Yeah. Throbbing away in the night with vengeful yeah. fantasies. Other similar, similar jobs. jobs. Other similar jobs. Steve Jobs. Yes. Yes. Something. Something is it. <laughs> Under. Buffalo, Detroit, Elizabeth, New Jersey, and New York. Well, in New York and Philadelphia, I'll be poor old Mark Rutland who lost his head over a pretty girl. And in the others, I'm just an accessory after the fact and equally liable under the law. Well, then let me go. They can't blame you because you didn't know. After you found out, I ran away. Just let me go. If I let you run out now, nothing could keep the lid on it. They've got your real name. Now he's like freaking out. Yeah. It's like, well, daggum. Yeah, you tethered yourself like, to this person. I, I mean, come on. Suspend the sentence. They walk free that very day. You will express deep sorrow and repentance, sincere and vocal contrition. And while you sob, I show respect for the amount stolen and press it into their hot little hands and ask a special favor to a distraught husband. It's a shame he was never on the Batman animated series. Or not animated series. Well, Bat yeah. that also, but uh, Batman. Mm hmm. He's too big. 66, yeah. Yeah, see? So he's too important. Take it over. over. Give you a month to think it over. <laughs> because, you know, that whole show has yeah. this reputation. Oh, all these big cameos, celebrities. You never had an A++ celebrity from the 60s no, it's like, actually be it's on it's like, there, yeah, though. I know who they are mm -hmm. from watching some stuff in the 60s, but like... But it wasn't like Sean Connery. It wasn't like the Beatles... 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the people who are like the biggest people. The Average era. everyday people now would have no clue who most of those people are. Right. Um, like, probably objectively, one of the biggest people on there was like Sammy Davis Jr., mm-hmm. maybe. Like, you know, in the yeah. like uh, window. Yeah. Somebody was walking up the wall. Like. I mean, there's a lot of very idiotic, preposterous things to me about the very upper crust culture, but maybe the biggest one is the hunting yeah. culture of like, whether it be pheasants as we saw in Spencer that. or with, you know, whatever. I, that's something I'll never be able to understand. And they think they're so cool. And meanwhile, they got all these dogs and all these people, like. These shots of her riding with yeah. her hat flown off here, just yeah. like the life is a life is a highway. <laughs> like. <laughs> the slight yeah. wow. Horse's eyes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm insane. For a second there, it wasn't moving. Yeah, <laughs> the projection. Now it won't stop. Here it comes. Wow. Oh my god. A poor horse. Yeah. And this is back in the day you couldn't definitively say no animals were harmed. Yeah, the no. It probably was hurt. R.I.P. Furio. Like Furio. Yeah. What do you have? 
get the gun. I'll do it, Marty. You wait here. You're still in the mood for killing. Please, Marty. Uh, just maybe not do that with a gun, but you know, just like wrestle over yeah. it. Got the gun. Makes it easy. It's very interesting to how high angle this all is, these shots yeah. of just like that. It's like we cannot get inside her head, it's unknowable. This is purely like her madness is set in, basically. It's yeah. like we can only view it from above. not a good situation to be like the guy that could turn you yeah, all right, in right. to be like sorry we're gonna have to talk later like he's making demands you know it's just like yeah he's got power over yeah. you yeah. Rutland Rutland rut this land let's rut this land
how weird and six slow all this is. I can't give it no. That old fractal. <laughs> What's stopping her? See it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Zoom. Here comes the money. Here comes the money. Money Here talks. <laughs> yeah. Bonus episode, you know, theme. Is it though? No. You're just exhausted. I don't panic. I've spoken to Strutt. I think I will to talk him around. Talk him around. I'll just put this away. Yeah, you do that. Almost found himself robbed. Yeah. Go on. You want the money. You wanted the money, or you wouldn't have taken my keys, would you? You took the keys, now take the money. I said, take it. <laughs> Put your hands on it. What's my Rub mind? your hands in it. Like, what? You're not stealing. Not stealing. Steal. steal. Steal it. Stop the steal. <laughs> oh, so he's one of them, huh? <laughs> I am not with her. <laughs> Lock her up. <laughs> what if he just slammed the door on her and killed her? It's like, what? And the rest of the movie is about him trying to get away. Yeah, it's like... What? I'm the new psycho. The, There's like the new money. 15 minutes left, and it's like that's what we're gonna spend time on. Like, come on, come on, get up, <laughs> giddy up. <laughs> well, we did that earlier. Yeah, so I right. <laughs> She's just so over all this. Just like, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you oh, be? Oh, yeah, I mean, this anybody. psychopath, yeah. like... That would be, yeah. Well... But about the other things. I'm gonna meet Mommy. Gonna go meet Mommy. Mother. Mama. Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Literally dragging her out, like... Well, wow. he's literally dragging her. Gonna get dragged. She gonna get ratioed. Like what? <laughs> Twitter terms like when somebody tweets something that they get more replies talking about how what an idiot they are. Oh, that's when your quote get ratioed. Basically, what whatever. Means. It's all a meme thing. Yeah, kind of meme lords. It's all right, money. I'm a meme lord. I do have to say though that my favorite. Uh, 
Facebook comment I've ever seen was somebody that I personally know <laughs> once set once put up a meme or something. Yeah. And then and by, the way, of, by the way, by the way, right, 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 right. Not the uh, And by the way, if that person's listening, I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous, but love you, babe, in your own way, I guess. But uh, they, they said somebody was, like, oh, this is dumb or something, and they said, "F off, I'm the meme lord." <laughs> so you know. Coming into my house, talking about my accident. How dare you come into here? I don't. What? Well, I don't know. It's yeah. going to be oh, whatever. Yeah, I, 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 I'm Paul. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen her literally since the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. I wonder if that girl ever got her pecan pie. Like, plum. I got some plums. I'm going to tell her I will. I'm going to tell her. Miles Teller. Nobody. Nobody know the trouble I seen but Jesus. Like, beautiful young daughter. Stand. Stand it. You can't stand it. Can't stand Stephen King's stand. Can't stand. Don't stand. Don't stand, Don't stand so. Don't stand so close to me. <laughs> Every little thing she does is magic. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? The records of your trial for murder and the records it states quite plainly that you made your living from the touch of men. And it was one of your clients that you killed that night. <gasps> was there also a storm that night, Mrs. Edgar? Is that why Marnie's terrified of storms? Storms? Thunder and lightning that night? <laughs> the storms terrify your little girl? Hmm? Hmm? In addition to everything else that happened, You get out. You get out. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, by the way, nice to meet my mother in law in these circumstances. Right, yeah. Not those kind of white suits. Mm -hmm. What does the tapping mean, Marnie? Why does it make you cry? Means they, they want in. They're in the white suits. Mama goes and gets me out of bed. I don't like to get out of bed. Back in the day, old Brucey Dern was here.
Looks kind of funny too. But I say, as yeah. I do respect lovebirds, yeah. Oh my god! I don't want Gone but not forgotten. God needed a drunken sailor. Yeah. God needed a dern. Yeah. So it's been Dern's blood all along. I she. Now we've finally gotten to her story. I just now know she's still wearing her riding clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't had time to change yet, I guess. Been a little bit of a busy a little bit. A little bit of a yeah. stretch, you know. Not really. You don't seem that broken up about it, but whatever.
Billy. Billy. Oh, Billy, who knows what happened to him? Billy the bum. And I got you, Marty. And after that accident one, when I was in the hospital, they tried to make me let you be adopted. I, I wouldn't. I wanted you. And I promised God right then, if he let me keep you and, and you not remember, I'd bring you up different from this. Decent. Decent. Oh, Mama. Are you surely realized your ambition? I certainly am decent. Of course, I'm a cheat and a liar and a thief. But I am decent. Well, that's not something I could say that I am. I'm the most depraved of all. When a child, a child of any age, Marty, can get love, or it takes what it can get, any way it can get it, it's not so hard to understand. My leg. So you think the sequel of this movie would have been them trying to figure him the hell out? Yeah, maybe. Just tracking down Billy. What if he's Billy? What if Billy's his dad, though? Yeah, that would make more sense. Yeah, now that would make that would be sensible. Yeah. No wonder he's depraved, you know. Oh, it's been nice to meet you, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to have you over for dinner. Uh, Mrs. Edgar, I'll bring Marnie back. Edgar. She's very tired now. Goodbye, Mama. Goodbye. Goodbye, sugar pot. The red brick. Oh, Mark. It's always been there. I don't want to go to jail. 
That's bad. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Is this a quote happy ending? Well, uh, what I was gonna say is that it's weird because it doesn't end with the typical "oh, she's gonna go to jail." It's like interesting how a lot of the, uh, even through most of the movie, that a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, main action of the movie, as far as like criminal stuff, takes place in the background and kind of just like isn't that big of a deal. But right, would be yeah. more of the foreground right. in Hitchcock movies. Yeah, that's still again one of my favorites uh, from him. Uh, it'd be the upper echelon for me. Uh, just how it's very deeply strange. Yeah. Well, I know we movie. made fun of Connery's voice the whole time, but I mean, Tippi Hendren, her best performance in a movie I've seen. But yeah, The Birds, she's very great too. And I prefer The Birds, but this is really good. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, it's just fascinating with The Birds and this that both of these movies are way less concerned with plot than a lot of previous Hitchcock movies yeah. to that end. You know, I think it's him moving into the last stages of his career. Uh, and these two movies kind of back to back still have something to say in a ways that yeah. uh, some of his other more prodigious movies in some ways didn't. So yeah, that's Marnie 1964. Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. Anyway, after I came back, I asked myself, why was I, the chief of special ops, selected to travel to the South Pole at that time to do a job that any number of others could have done? And I wondered if it could have been because one of my routine duties, if I had been in Washington, would have been to arrange for additional security in Texas. So I decided to check it out. And sure enough, I found out that someone had told the 112th Military Intelligence Group at 4th Army Headquarters at Fort Sam Houston to stand down that day over the protests of the unit commander. Colonel Wright. I believe it's a mistake. This is significant because it is standard operating procedure, especially in a known hostile city like Dallas, to supplement the Secret Service. I mean, even if we had not allowed the bubble top to be removed from the limousine, we would have placed at least 100 to 200 agents on the sidewalk without question. I mean, only a month before Dallas. UN Ambassador Adlai Stevenson was spit on and hit. There had already been several attempts on De Gaulle's life in France. We would have arrived days ahead of time, studied the route, checked all the buildings, never would have allowed all those wide open empty windows overlooking Dealey, never. We'd have had our own snipers covering the area. The minute a window went up, they'd have been on the radio. We'd have been watching the crowd, packages rolled up, newspapers, coat over and up. Never would have let a man open an umbrella along the way. Never would have allowed that limousine to slow down to 10 miles an hour, much less take that unusual curve at Houston and Elm. You would have felt an army presence in the streets that day. None of this happened. It was a violation of the most basic protection codes we have, and it is the best indication of a massive plot in Dallas. Now, who could have best done this? So, yeah, JFK, our very next film mm -hmm. from 1991, getting ready to celebrate its 30th anniversary. Where to begin with JFK? I mean, uh, I don't really know because I say this without hyperbole. I think it's one of the biggest movies that. Hollywood has ever produced in certain ways as far as as far as the uh subject matter scale, the subject matter, the cast, the length, yeah, the money put I mean, just everything about it being Oliver Stone movie. Yeah. Um, the implications of the movie, what a controversy it was, 
Um, and yet how still beloved it is by a lot of people, including us. And I think that was one of the biggest cultural artifacts that has, you know, that came, that came when it did, that was like really, whether or not you absolutely agree with what Stone's, um, conceptions of who did kill John Fitzgerald Kennedy were that it nonetheless almost made the status quo opinion. Oh, there was a conspiracy. It's just a matter of what conspiracy you believe. Yeah. That had been building for some time. That was even being said in the mid-60s as Jim Garrison yeah. was trying to make the case in right. the film. Um, it's a movie that um, I have a lot of respect for and I quite love. In some ways, though, I almost wish that we, we've still yet to have a very serious dive into who JFK was as a person yeah. cinematically. Right. I think one day that'll probably come. Yeah. Uh, but as of yet, yeah, because you know, the, movie the movie is, has that big yeah. name, old JFK. The, the movie is but it's misleading. not about yeah. JFK. The movie is anyways. misleading in the sense that you would as right, you would assume it would be about JFK. Um, I suppose the assassination, as, and, and frankly, right. would maybe have a better title being eleven twenty two sixty three or or something like referring to or the referring to either of the uh, titles of the books that it was based on. It was Crossfire. And then on the trail of the assassins or something like that, it was like dif- different. That well, honestly, would have made more sense to call it. But by I guess those calling names. it JFK just but, immediately makes it more immediately recognizable to m- most right. people. Oh, it's a movie about JFK or something like that, you know. Well, and the movie starts. It's interesting because, uh, and we're gonna be talking about it a lot. Uh, it has my favorite opening credits to any movie very easily of like Martin Sheen doing a narration of like. Kennedy's presidency, yeah, and the, it it's almost like that section of the movie is the definitive moment where it's celebrating JFK as a man, mm-hmm. because then the rest of the movie is very much obviously all wrapped up in the conspiracy, the style, um, and is very ever rarely about the man himself, mm-hmm. um, other than in these academic senses of what uh, his death represented of, uh, or what his presidency uh, maybe right, represented or what even the reactions of radical uh, political minds reacting to his decision-making. Right. Um, and so in that way, it's very much kind of not about him mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And is more about the nature of not only just conspiracy in general, but also the nature of uh, law and um, justice and, you know, about what that means to in normal ways because it's easy to forget that the movie's a courtroom drama because it it most of it isn't right uh but the last 45 minutes or so or 30 minutes 45 minutes is all in a courtroom um yeah and normally i prefer to think about the first half of the movie um and how amazing all that is but and you know not that the ending of the movie isn't good but or anything but uh, that's where we get kind of wrapped up in a lot is that kind of early conspir- conspiratorial nature of the early parts of the movie. And mm-hmm. it continues through the rest of the movie too, but yeah. but yeah, uh, We've since both read Don DeLillo's book, Only Harvey Oswald, Libra, which mm-hmm. is itself a work of fiction, but is in many ways rooted to fact. Uh, you know, and that's another thing too is Lee Harvey Oswald almost seems like an, a, a literal patsy or literal palm yeah. in the movie itself as well as right. far as who he was. Gary Oldman terrifically plays oh, him, by the way. Yes. I mean, one of the um, most spot-on kind of representations that, that have ever been done of Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. But again, hey, even he, he is, is almost an afterthought. He is not a communist. He is a Marxist-Leninist. I mean, <laughs> But so, even he's kind of yeah. an afterthought yes, in what the yeah, narrative and, is. Uh, 
even the same thing with somebody like Jack Ruby, who clearly isn't as big as those other two people, but him in the movie is this very weird kind of like, I mean, he wants to tell the truth, then he wants to leave this Yeah, world. I mean, like, he's eliminated. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> but, and then he's dead, and then the movie moves on. I mean, and that's what's interesting about the movie, is it's focus on Jim Garrison and, uh, and having uh, Kevin Costner lead the movie. It's kind of an interesting choice to mm-hmm. do. But... Uh, but I really anyway. love DeLillo's Libra. We can yeah. maybe talk about that a yeah. little bit next week, too. That that was actually trying to be a production, an adaptation of that being made, and that yeah. Oliver Stone kind of made sure that it wasn't mixed right. it and so he could get his version of it done. Yeah. Um, but I guess just to kind of preview that, mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the movie in general. It's one of my very favorite movies. Um, it's one of the first big movies I saw. I thought this is a serious movie right adult even movie, though it's yeah. deeply hilarious yeah. but um but it is a serious movie i mean not that it isn't yeah. and, and oliver stone's one of my favorite filmmakers i always beat the drum for oliver stone and love his movies uh, even when i rarely agree with them yeah uh, in certain ways um but that uh with what they're saying literally but uh they're just so immersive and daring and shocking and always watchable Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing that a movie as long as JFK is uh, as fun as it is in a weird way, and it's weird to call a movie like that fun because of what it's about. Well, but, it's again, it, it, it's very reminiscent to me of Casino, which we've already yeah. done on here, and was made in an era around that Joe time. Pesci. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that they both feel like these just big amusement parks, and like you can go to it, and I'll, I'll spend some time over here. Right. I'll spend some time over here. It just feels like this this kaleidoscopic, never ending tapestry of everything about America, about corruption, about all these big ideas. In the yeah. same way, Casino is in another way for another realm. I mean, Clay, uh, Clay Burton. I mean, yeah. and that's a, yeah, and you're right. <laughs> we I mean, quoted all the time. So too, many, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, we're going to go down the actors list. Yeah, that's going to take. I mean, this, we'll go ahead and preface it. This is going to be a really long, uh, really uh, long. I think podcast. very comfortably going to be our longest. Yeah, yet, probably. and part of that is, is I think we are going to discuss in our own opinion what what we think of the JFK assassination, which is going to be its own. We could just do a whole podcast on that in itself. Um, but our thoughts on that, and then, of course, our thoughts on the movie. Um, but also just, just Liz, I mean, like I said, we quote the movie constantly, incessantly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what is so great about the movie is that it is... It's it's a it's your broccoli and it's your and it's your chocolate bar, you know. It's, it's a weird way to say it. It's like it's the it's the it's all the hard stuff and then all the good stuff at the same time and really in the same scenes, interestingly. Yeah. Um and I just really think it's one of the feats of American filmmaking. Um not even one of the best movies. I mean, it's a flawed movie and I and we can talk about yeah. why that is. Um I mean, you know, moments like at the end where his family comes and he has to do. It's like that. It's funny because it's such a. It's a movie that is so itself. It's mm-hmm. unlike anything. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, it is so much like everything else that's ever been made. Of like, the family comes and he sees them and he stops mid argument and looks as they come in. Right. You know, it's very much that type of movie. And I think that's why that le- that latter part of the movie becomes a little bit. Um, blase and kind of uh, okay is that it becomes more like these other movies whereas the first half especially is so propulsive and explosive and and just 
overwhelming in a good way that um, I think that in of itself actually unconsciously represents the narrative flow of conspiracy itself. It's like oh the what ifs and the huh. yeah. But then when you actually got to sit down and go this is what happened. This person did this. Right. That's when like inherently not the movie gets boring, but like the process of explaining that yeah. starts to run dry and it's like not nearly as exciting in the immediate aftermath and the chaos of what could be and this you even or what could feel be that. that with, yeah. And then as it goes on, it's like, it just feels like, uh, can we just kind of move on and wrap it up? You know? And you even like, feel uh, that in the sense of, uh, you even feel that in the sense of the jury, the people involved in the trial that they're sitting there listening. They're just like, I don't really care about any of this. And how can you blame this on this one man? And, and you know, and and, even, even yeah. then the years are ticking by and right. it's a few years removed from it happening. And you hear about this thing going on in Vietnam and you hear about all these other things. Going because on. Oliver Stone, movement. I don't know if you knew this, but Oliver Stone was in Vietnam. Well, somebody once I joked, I don't or made a quip one time yeah. that, uh, he made JFK to as a detective story to figure out who sent him to Vietnam, which I think was a very fascinating <laughs> yeah. like way to look which at. Which I mean, because, as as Johnson says in the movie, uh, oh yeah. uh, you make me president, I'll give you your D war. I mean, so you know. Um. So. Uh, so JFK. There's so I mean again yeah. we're gonna dive into it. I mean I could very well see us doing a three hour intro before we even get yeah, to the movie. Probably. I could very well see that. Who knows? Yeah. And the movie itself so many, is over three so hours. So many things to talk about with yeah. that. Um, and again, JFK. I think one thing that makes it special as a film celebrating its 30th anniversary is I mean the 90s was filled with movies that were much more um, you know openly either political or certainly engaged in social issues in a much more mainstream middle brow way. I mean, you, I, I really think of Warner Brothers in particular being a champion. I mean, the one, two punch of like Malcolm X and this are like all, you know, the Malcolm X is even better. Time. I yeah, mean, but, and I don't love it as much as JFK, but Malcolm X is truly one of the best movies period. I mean, yeah, it, I agree. And that, yeah. that was a particular moment where both of those particular yeah. directors, Spike Lee and Oliver Stone, themselves were protégés of Martin Scorsese and having a certain moment where you or not Universal excuse me maybe yeah. they are paying us oh my god uh, Warner I Brothers mean, we're seeing their, we keep seeing their logo here, yeah. Warner Brothers um, Greenlit both of those movies and they come out with like within consecutive years of one another yeah um, and there's and a famous that, story that Spike Lee said I mean it's a similar you give me my you give me the presidency I'll get you your D war <laughs> he's like if Oliver Stone got three hours to make JFK I better get three hours to make uh Malcolm X, and he did. Yeah. So, and as you, know. you said, I, I, I think I might marginally. Hmm, I don't know. Well, let me say this: I think Malcolm X is better than JFK. Yeah. I probably barely like JFK better because I've seen it more. But then you have, I mean, but also yeah. it's an easier movie right. to quote laugh yes. at. Yeah, right. Now Malcolm in. X isn't Malcolm X funny. is a very yeah. sober, serious movie yeah. in a variety of ways. Uh, I mean, but it doesn't have Kevin Bacon, you know, yeah. going off like. Uh, fascism is coming back. I mean, that's another thing too. There's like certain big actors like him or Ed Asner that get uh, Jack Lemmon. They get like a handful of scenes and are like, I mean, you can tell that literally everybody was chomping at the bit to be in a movie like that. Um, And so 30 years later, looking at that movie, it does make you kind of sad that we don't have. I mean, we say this all the time. Oh, they don't make movies like this or that. They really don't. I mean, but a movie that was that. I mean, the only thing I can think of that's comparable to this that came out in recent years was maybe something like Trial of the Chicago uh, 7, yeah. which was not even all that great. It was oh, actually okay, 
but that actually was kind of about a big subject matter like that. Had a pretty big cast. Actually had a fairly big enough um, platform like Netflix, but the reality of today is that things go on these streaming services and they just kind of disappear. Yeah. Nobody talks about them right. all that much. Um, but so we love JFK and we're really... That was, again, one of those other handful of movies when we started yeah. this podcast that, oh, we got to do JFK. And we preface it now that we're going to try to get all our... And the movie's so long, I mean, we're going to get our enough time to talk about everything, I feel like. But mm-hmm. as far as the more important stuff, real serious kind of talk, we're going to try to get out of the way early on. And then in the movie, it's just going to be a, a like a, a firestorm of, oh, this moment, this moment. So I mean, John it, Candy... Oh I mean, my God! Yeah. How have we not yeah. brought up that yet? I mean, I mean, go cock a doodle doo. Good day to you, sir. I mean, one of my favorite scenes in any movie, I must say, um, and another one of my favorite scenes in any movie you just heard with Donald Sutherland. Um, you know, yeah, so, yeah, all time. Which, by the way, yeah, before we go, yeah, that it's funny. There's a part of that that we heard that was <laughs> him talking about everything that they would need to do. You know. Yeah in Dallas and I have a little video of I had recorded a sped up version of it on YouTube a long time ago and hearing it that way that you heard it it honestly sounded like well, he was drunk we've and seen slowed the movie down. you know right. itself a lot of times yeah. but have seen this version a yeah. lot too so, so here we here go, you go. So, there you go. Wow. If you wanted to hear that, there you go. And we've already basically spoiled it earlier on in this episode, but we're going to do a movie the week after that that in many yeah. ways serves, I would say, as a necessary corrective to what JFK in of itself yes. is in yeah. terms of looking at that subject matter and very much dealing with literally some of the same events. So, uh, we'll be doing that. Uh, yep. So, this is Kyle. This is Levi. Take care. God bless. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Good day to you, sir. Roar!